Who still remembers Pampiro Furpo? Who booked the screw job in Montreal? Who has a good friend named Weasel Dooley? Everyone knows it's corny. Who managed Bobby Eaton and Condry? Who managed Stan Lane and Dr. Tom? Who's sick and tired of Kenny Olivier? Everyone knows it's corny. Took a shoot, fall off of the scaffolding. Who bled a gusher in a white suit? Who said Ronnie Garvin went up like the challenger? Everyone knows it's corny. It's Jim Cornette's drive through. He'll answer questions from you. And he won the pony too. Thank you, fuck you, bye. 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 Hello again, friends. And you are our friends. And welcome back to another edition of Jim Cornette's Drive-Thru right here. Being recorded in part today and part tomorrow. And we recorded yesterday and there's <laughs> videos going up. There's so much going on. But we're going to talk WrestleMania, the WWE sale, and what are the Saudis going to do now? But anyway, I'm your host, the great Brian Last, and here he is, the star of the drive-thru, Mr. Jim Cornette. Today and tomorrow, you really pinned it to the uh, wall as far as a reference point of, of what date we are, what time we are. In the middle of all this whirlwind of activity, the second night of WrestleMania is just over with, the Monday morning announcement of the sale to the they have endeavored to sell the company to endeavor uh we're going to talk about all of that stuff and and as well as the the pollen count here in louisville is very high and i think the wwe creative team is too i've it was somewhat deflated for the first time i was optimistic about watching a show overall i knew there was going to be bumps in the road but I was optimistic I was going to leave on a high note, and instead, the as I mentioned, the creative team showed up to work on a high note. But we're going to talk about that. What? What? I don't know. Do you blame the creative team? Because we had just finished recording the experience. We talked about the fact that WWE did it right. Night one ended. Everyone went home happy. <laughs> and it seems like they should do that again tomorrow. And then all of a sudden, this villain with a thin mustache rode into town. <laughs> And everything went haywire. I don't know what happened. I don't know if I'm going to blame the creative team or the villain with the mustache. I don't know. Cody Rhodes got tied to the railroad tracks, baby. Save me, save me. <laughs> and then along came Vince. <sighs> oh, he looks like uh, everybody's made the comparisons, the silent movie villains. Uh, I mentioned here a little bit before we went on the air, I said maybe Raymond Navarro's grandfather. Google that one, kids. Um, it's it's insane, and the the he's on television now with that that hair is dyed so dark that lightning bugs are going to follow him around in the daytime. He's got what looked to be woolly worms, dark black woolly worms, serving his eyebrows on his newly reorganized face. And then that that thing, the fucking the Hershey Highway sideways across his upper lip, 
is I he looks deranged. And meanwhile, there's various his eyes, his eyes look like they have one expression while his face looks like it has another one all at the same time. How do you describe that, Brian? I don't remember that show in the 80s out of England. I forget the name of it, but they did that Genesis video for Land of Confusion where it was just <laughs> like giant puppet heads. Forget the name of it. I'm sorry to the uh, British listeners. Who's operating Vince's cheeks then? He looks crazy. You know what I thought of, though? At the very end, Walt Disney dyed his hair to make that video pitching Epcot and pitching Disney World, <laughs> pitching the whole concept of Florida basically giving him a ton of land to turn it into what it's become. Originally, there were different visions. Epcot was actually going to be a city, the experimental prototype city of tomorrow. But Walt Disney thought, in order to sell this, I need to look younger than I do. So you're saying that, that it's been 37 years ago that he did that interview saying, I want to be the Walt Disney of wrestling. And now, son of a gun, at, at nearly 80, he's finally done it. He's He's going to be frozen. He's going to be frozen in the in the freezer at the commissary down on the second floor of Titan Tower until they can figure out a way to reanimate reanimate him. Reanimate him once he comes back to life or whatever the fuck. Can you imagine sitting in the boardroom at Endeavor or wherever it may be? Endeavor or wherever? <laughs> Endeavor or wherever. That may be the name of the new company, actually. Endeavor wherever we go. And you're waiting on Vince, and someone says, Vince just arrived, when do you see him? And in your head, you're thinking, wow, he really must be working out. He must look, like, really buff. Wait, do you see Vince? What else could it mean? And all of a sudden, he shows up with the mustache, dyed black hair, the eyebrows, whatever's going on with the face. <laughs> hey, hey, pal. Hey, I'll tell you what, if they've got any employees named Penelope Pitstop up there, they're going to be the next paralegal to watch out for. Free diva mustache rides. <laughs> Well, before we talk about, you know, uh, basically Vince's late life crisis, who got bait and switched more, Endeavor or the WWE Universe this weekend? Now, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm wondering, there's too much commercialism. That's what it is. Everybody's talking about this sale, talking about the grosses of WrestleMania, talking about the money to be made and things that are are, you know, financial in nature. There's too much commercialism in wrestling these days. And I think we ought to, we ought to ignore that aspect of it. We ought to go back to the enjoyment of it, the, the fandom that we had. And that's why that I'd like to mention that this weekend, this coming Saturday, April 8th at noon Eastern, is the start of the Spring Spectacular Sale at Cornette's Collectibles, where you can enjoy being a fan again and purchase things not for capitalistic reasons, but for the enjoyment of the genre, the pro wrestling game, including my breast cancer pink and black action figure with the pink and black tennis racket and the microphone and the, the uh, uh, God damn it, what else comes in there? The headset, the whole nine yards, all that stuff. And we're giving 10 bucks a piece for all figures sold to the American Cancer Society to fight cancer and... The Inside the Ropes December 2022 magazine with me on the cover and a big six-page spread inside. Not that kind. Get your mind out of the gutter. And the two-hour-plus DVD of myself and Jim Ross at our show in London, October 2016, along with Brett the Hitman Hart 
and interviewed by Kenny McIntosh. All those things autographed, packed by the feather bottoms with loving care. This Saturday, April 8th, jimcornette.com, noon Eastern. Everything goes on sale, and there's only a 1,000 figures, so jump in quickly. We know how these things go. But I want to get away from the capitalism and the commercialism. I just got a new action figure that's interesting. It is from the brand new, uh, Kenner just put this out, the Adventures of Indiana Jones, the Raiders of the Lost, Lost Ark figure. It's a Pat Roach figure. <laughs> His name here is German Mechanic, but of course he was the wrestler Pat Roach. So now I have Pat Roach's action figure for my collection. Yes, and, and before everybody says, he's crazy, who's Pat Roach? We've never heard Pat Roach was a, a British wrestler. That's right. And so then the, he became the American uh, fans may not be familiar. And then he did various films. He was in this movie twice, I believe. Two different roles. Oh, I thought you meant he was in a movie called Twice. No. Well, maybe he will. Maybe I, no, it's not. God damn it. This is your show. I'm supposed to be following you and you've got me in the weeds already. All right, well, let's no, get you let's get you out of the weeds. And uh, let's get uh, into the weeds. Let's get into the weeds on the show. Let's get right back into the weeds here. Before we get to the review of night two of WrestleMania and everything else we're going to have on this show, breaking right before night two of WrestleMania and all that a lot of people want to talk about. And as we are recording, the deal was announced. Do we say it's finalized? Or at no, least it, it's, it's, it's an it's agreement. In, it's what they want to do. And unless something happens because it's going to be the publicly traded company with securities and exchange right. commission and all that stuff and everything, it's going to be done. So if they haven't done it already, finally, and, and for once and for all, it's going to happen. Well, the word has come out that Endeavor is buying WWE with the intention of merging it with the UFC and spinning that off to be a brand new publicly traded company. And boy, howdy, uh, it, there's so many ironies in this. Number one, what were, what was I saying before we even started doing this program? I've been saying it since probably about 2005. The UFC is doing pro wrestling better than pro wrestling has done pro wrestling. For a while there, especially with that really big run when they were on pay-per-view, they were kicking Vince's ass on pay-per-view before the network. Uh, before he diminished his pay-per-view presence. They they were hyping fights in the same manner as you would have seen wrestling promotions do it before everything became entertainment. And I, it was Joe Silva who was the matchmaker under Dana White before they made this big last deal with Endeavor. Um, he was an old-time, from what I understand, uh, Mid-Atlantic and North Carolina wrestling fan. And it was, it was getting people interested in personalities, accentuating their positive or negative attributes, letting the ones that could talk and got it in their heads and got the picture do their thing and keeping the other ones in check that would have made it a goddamn shit show because they didn't know what they were doing in terms of working, promoting. And it was more wrestling than wrestling was. And now that wrestling is as far away from what wrestling ever was and what the UFC is, they're under the same fucking umbrella. 
my mind is boggling. We can talk about that or we can talk about the fact that now in in the corporate hierarchy structure, the way they've got it laid out, Dana White's going to be working for Vince McMahon, kind of, sort of. He's not as important, but at the same time, and may have, Brian, since you're the wizard and wolf of Wall Street up there, Jersey uh, branch, uh, you might be able to tell me how they, they bought, Endeavor bought the UFC for $4 billion a number of years ago, but now they're saying that the WWE price is $9 billion, but now they're saying that the UFC is valued at about $12, 12 billion. billion. So all of this together, is, is are they using Donald Trump's accountant? Where are they coming up with all these billions of dollars? Um, it, it, I mean... It, how do is is that now the time where they're finally going to start working the UFC a little bit more so we can get away from the fucking cartoon hoo-ha bootios fucking brand of wrestling and watch some good worked mixed martial arts that we can sink our teeth into? What what's gonna go on here? Well, I think they're gonna have to most certainly keep the UFC completely separate from WWE, uh, especially for the athletic commissions. They're not going to put up with any of that garbage. Well, the athletic commission supervised professional wrestling for fucking almost a hundred years. Some still do. It's a crazy deal. <laughs> Vince McMahon will be executive chairman. We don't know what exactly that is. We don't know what functioning role that'll have. I remember several times BMG tried to retire Clive Davis, and every time he came back with another position, like, you know, chief creative officer. Oh, where's his office? It's up there by the Sony Club. No one ever sees him. So you don't know what Vince's real role will be. When asked on CNBC if he'll be getting involved with creative, he said, and I'm paraphrasing here, we could play the audio later in the show, maybe on the big level, but not nuts and bolts. So he's going to be involved in everything. Because there's no way... He signed a new deal. He's coming with them. He's not going to want to be involved in this? Well, it's obvious now, and we talked about it, kind of sounded uh, like it was too coincidental to be coincidental that he had signed his contract, you know, a few days before they announced this, before WrestleMania weekend. We talked about that on the experience a day or so ago. But the the, the thing is, is that now in the... A hierarchy, the corporate structure that I saw advertised, Ari Emanuel, who is the head of Endeavor, right, will be the, the head of this new $21 billion organization that heads both the WWE and UFC, and then somebody else and somebody, somebody else and Vince are going to be on kind of like the same level as, what did you say, executive chairman? Or the chairman of the board? Well, Vince will be executive chairman. No one else will have that title. Okay, but then Nick Khan is underneath that as the president of the WWE, and Dana White is the president of the UFC. That means to tell me that Dana is not as Im important now in this overall thing as Vince is. Dana is equal in the corporate structure, technically, to Nick Khan now. Yes, but not equal to Vince's is still big. Why, why would he be? Structure. Why would he be? Honestly, why would he be? He had a minority interest in the Fertitta's company. 
He was, it was, you know, the face of the company, but he wasn't the majority owner. Vince was the but majority I'm, owner. I'm just, I'm just thinking, what's he? The, he's there, my goddamn UFC. They sold it. I got a bunch of money out of it, and I'm still, and all of a sudden, here going Vince. Now Vince is my boss. What the fuck? Anyway, um, so as far the the only the thing that I've been worried the most about is the video library. We've talked about that. I don't care who owns this fucking thing. It's all going to be a goddamn amusement park anymore. But the entire collected history of wrestling on video that they have compiled, which is 85, 90% of it at this point, that's what we were worried about. If the Saudis decided, well, we don't need that shit. But one would think that UFC, they understand the value of, of old films, fight films, content, whatever. Do you think we're safe there? Do you, they're not going to make any sudden moves with the goddamn Florida library, are they? I don't think so. And I think, you know, UFC is just another entity in this. And I think they see WWE as being potentially bigger than UFC. So I don't think UFC is going to be having anything to do with any of this stuff. Well, I'm just saying, you know, they've already bought one company Remember, that this is has a major... an extensive library and that they use that stuff and they haven't, nobody's heard that they've, they have a you know, thrown service. that out in the dumpster. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they may link everything together in a streaming service. Remember, Ari Emanuel is probably the most successful Hollywood agent of all time. He's had different people play him in TV shows and maybe just TV shows. I'm going to say movies, but definitely TV shows. There's been a few major, Aries. Major motion pictures and sitcoms, baby. But he's been one of the most, he's been the most successful ever, and he's now in charge of Endeavor, and it's not just the UFC. It's much bigger than that. So they're adding WWE under the umbrella. He's still in charge of everything. This is just a division. There's other things he's doing, too. I don't think UFC is going to supersede WWE in terms of any like production or WWE production actually is maybe the one thing they should take advantage of as a company and do more with that team. Well, uh, there you go. And and I think I asked you before we went on the air also in our brief conversation, um, you know, the UFC looked great when it was on Fox, but they don't have a, a production division to rival the scope and the extensiveness and the, you know, the overall macho-ness of the big-ass WWE production team, so will that branch out, will they add to that and make one production team doing all of the stuff? I wonder. Have you heard about UFC having a... I mean, I, I know they've got... It's better than, like, when Sinclair bought Ring of Honor and we were renting fucking camcorders. Um, but they don't have anything like the WWE's studio in terms of television production, do they? And I'm not saying for people to go, oh, it looks great. I'm not saying they don't look great, but the question is, do they own it or do they have that level of facility or do they contract with the various people that broadcast their programs and have equipment, blah, blah, blah. Well, here I have something, an article from 2020 UFC's for Fight Island when they did it during the pandemic. UFC creates live production ecosystem from scratch on Fight Island. So they definitely have something going on internally. But WWE... Think about that. No booking, no creative, nothing. But WWE production producing a UFC pay-per-view. Wow. That that would be awesome. Because wh what do we say? Their packages and the way that they make people look like stars and make things that when you saw it happen in real time and completely, it wasn't that particularly exciting. The packages make it look exciting. So imagine what they could do 
you know, with a shoot product. And that's the thing. What I'm looking for, here's what I want out of this. I want a goddamn well-worked, believable UFC. Because wrestling's gone so far down the bend that it's 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 gone now. But if we could just get a few people doing some fucking promos and throw a couple of juicy angles in there and then have the fucking fights, I'd love that. That would be, be just like wrestling came back. Let me ask you this. So Ari Emanuel's an agent. Endeavor, does Endeavor own William Morris? I believe they do. So they have an in-house agency. Yeah. Is this going to be good or bad for wrestlers in terms of salaries? For opportunities, it'll be good because you'll have an in-house agency, technically. Again, we're going to have the issues with the likenesses and the rights and everything. But in terms of actual money, actual contracts, you think this will be good or bad? Well, hold on. If they've got a talent agency in-house, it'd be much easier to get parts in television and other areas of showbiz for the talent but I wouldn't want them representing me with the company that they are part of to negotiate my deal with that company, right? You see what I'm saying? That's a conflict of interest. On CNBC this morning, the whole thing was a conflict of interest because they interview, no, they have Scott Wapner interview Ari Emanuel and the dastardly Vince McMahon. Dick Dastardly, a.k.a. Vincent Kennedy McMahon. And as soon as it's over and they go back to the exchange, he goes, I just want to say I'm represented by the agency there. So is this guy. So is this. Everyone on the panel was represented by the man they just interviewed. Think about that. Well, but here's another thing. And this has been brought up numerous times. The UFC is noted for paying much more for their fighters, much more to the talent as a percentage of their overall income than the WWE does. So at some point, are they going to have to reconcile those practices or are they going to say then in the company, well, we pay these guys a bigger percentage of the gate and the, or the revenue or whatever, because it's a shoot and they're really fighting. And then who over here is going to say, well, you know, fucking Finn just got his fucking head caved in and got about 72,000 staples put in it. And, and he was working. So how is that different from this guy that fucking outpointed the other guy and never had a glove laid on him or hand laid on him in the shoot that could get sticky. Because and and it's not like that the in the UFC they pay the fighters up to the level of the the NBA or the NFL or whatever, but they do get more in terms of gates and or in terms of payoffs and bonuses on the pay per views that we've heard about and and et cetera on the gate than the wrestling folks do. Or but now here's the thing: what's the UFC? merchandising like because in a lot of cases as we know the wwe talent makes more money on merchandising sometimes than they do on their wrestling so have you heard of anybody in the ufc that happening to so are the ufc people going to go hey that company crossed the fucking hall this guy just got a fucking 
$400,000 check for, you know, action figures and a goddamn video game. And I, and you just sold six of my autographed eight by tens. What the fuck's going on here? This could get interesting. What do you think about the idea that Vince McMahon will now no longer be the majority owner of WWE? Well, we knew we knew that was going to happen because he's been wanting to sell it. What we didn't know was that he was not only going to come back, make his big comeback and stick around, but put himself in a firmer position with a two-year contract. And he's 70 fucking eight. So that's, we're, we're starting to close in on it. The, the, any contract he signs from this point on might be a lifetime contract. And not only that, but the, the new operation is welcoming him to stay there and supervise with open arms. So he's having his cake and he's eating it too. He's getting the, how many billions of dollars he's going to get for his portion of the stock. He's got an ongoing, highly paid seven-figure fucking job with the company that he started, and now he's directing at the second highest level. And and they love having him there and are going to listen to what he says. So <laughs> where That's the Clive fuck is, Davis? That's what it is. Where's the downside here for Vince McMahon besides the unfortunate cosmetic choices he's made? You're going to have to hide women in the office. There's the downside for the company. <laughs> Don't go near no, the copier you know, between the hours of one and two. Vince goes to get his turkey sandwich. No, you know what? What they're going to do is they're going to make, there's a little roof garden up above the fourth floor. And they taped that raw opening up there one time with all the guys and blah, blah, blah. They're going to make that like Vince's wild kingdom. And if you go up there, it's at your own risk because there's there's no goddamn game wardens and he's on the prowl. Well, they're not there anymore. That'd be an interesting twist if Vince decides he's not leaving. Oh no! They, well, they've just started. They, they're they're starting the move next month. Oh. They delayed it till after WrestleMania. Maybe they'll just give Vince the the old building and say, "Look, just fucking escape from New York, some shit over here." Well, they own it, right? They're renting the new place, but they own Titan Tower. So I believe they do. Yeah, Vince could turn it into his wild kingdom. Welcome to Vince's retreat. <laughs> arr, arr, arr. Try the buffet. <laughs> but yeah, so in in all seriousness, the the pro wrestling business as we knew it has changed forever. The question is how much the new parent company is going to change the WWE, its practices, what the both practices that maybe we don't even see on a day-to-day -day basis, the average person wouldn't know was there and or, you know, the on-air product and the in, in the buildings and what it looks like and who's involved and how it's gone about. We can't really, you know, we joke about, yeah, Vince is having his cake and eating it too, but are there going to be some things that they want to do that are going to be different from the way things have always been done, because you know what Dutch Mantel says, if you always do what you always did, you always get what you always got. And these people now have $20 billion to pay to somebody, right? Somewhere, or however much they're spending on this and how they're breaking this apart, that's above my pay grade. When you get above 2 or $3 billion, I can't do the math. 
Well, he's on TV right now. I'm sorry I'm distracted. I'm <laughs> looking at that face. Whatever happened. It's, if he starts singing, it's a small, small world. We'll know something's up with the whole Disney tie-in. Well, there it is. WWE apparently sold to Endeavor to be merged with the UFC. More about this as it continues to develop. Who has... Who... Do they, they're borrowing this money, right? This is all this fictitious high finance accounting that normal people can't do. Well, yeah, most people don't have billions of dollars in cash on hand. Yeah, but so by the time, and this, the um, Endeavor and Ari there was saying that they were not looking to change their leverage position uh, just about a month or so ago in a public statement. And now they've, They've leveraged the fuck yeah. out of themselves with another $9 billion. Then Nick Khan made a bunch of robust TV appearances, and they said, oh, <laughs> something going on. We better do this now. They're going to be in L.A. Let's close it at WrestleMania, like the great Brian last said. But is is anybody going to – are they going to take the water coolers out of Titan Tower again and cut tighten their belts, cut expenses to try to pay back? What would the interest be if you've borrowed that $9 billion? You know, one other thing I want to say we, before we get to WrestleMania, this is part of my frustration with what AEW is, just because especially now with this new structure or new infrastructure, I should say, for WWE, that's why we needed not just well-funded, they got that, a well-run, well-managed wrestling company with a good infrastructure and a good management structure to be number two, because this was going to, you know, look at what number one is now. Now it's completely unstoppable. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> like, but we need a strong number two and a serious number two. And that's part of my frustration just because it's a, you know, I'm not going to say it's a completely missed opportunity because the opportunity technically is still out there, but it just feels like a, a lot of swung at that opportunity and whiffed so many times by now that I think the people are tired of pitching the ball at them. Yeah. Well, that but, was, oh, go and, ahead. And, and, and here, well, it here one <laughs> One more thing is maybe Tony Khan now, he can call up the Saudis. He can call up old Prince Muhammad bin Solomon or whoever the fuck he is and say, hey, you don't want them to get too far ahead of you, do you? Now they're going to charge you double for those big shows. How about I'll, I'll send Moxley over. Uh, now, I don't know that they'd give him too much of a response now that I've said that. All right, well, let's get to WrestleMania Night 2. Let's do it. Because WrestleMania Night 1 ended, like we said, on a up note. Everyone went home happy. I was so optimistic about things coming into Night 2. Really enjoyed Night 1, and Night 2 got off to a really good start, I think. All right, by the way, who is Jimmy Allen? He is, I believe, a country musician. Okay, what credentials does he have to open up WrestleMania? It's again. Well, mean Gene you know opened what? up WrestleMania. Anyone could no, sing the open. Let me hear. You know, one of the first stories that Bruce Pritchard told me, and this is actually a true one, believe it or not. When I got to the WWF was, we were talking about WrestleMania and the celebrities that, you know, Vince always got. And did, it, Bruce said, did you hear about Joe Walsh? I said, what are you talking about? He said, we had a chance one time to get Joe Walsh to play the national anthem or do the national anthem. And I said, well, why didn't he? He said, Vince didn't know who he was. I said, what? Joe Walsh, the Eagles. Vince didn't, Vince didn't know who he was. Now, 
Instead of Vince not knowing who the artist is, the fans don't know who the artist is. Well, country fans know who he is. You don't know who he is. You don't know any modern country For stars, do you? Well, n- no, and, and not personally. By name. But it, it depends on, on modern now. Well, there's that, there's that one girl. Which one? There's a and, few and of them. The, she's blonde. Which one? Um, and she was on a TV show. But hey, but right. here's the thing. God the damn, grand old going, Opry over here, ladies and they're gentlemen. They're going from country to Snoop Dogg. To, they're all over the page. They pick a WWE. genre and stick with it. How many, how many fucking country fans were there? Then would, would they have rioted if Snoop Dogg was out there? It's WWE. They will latch on to any musician or celebrity oh, that yes. shows any interest. We found, we found out at the Great American Bashes in the 80s that people didn't necessarily give a shit about mixing their music with their wrestling, regardless of the genre, but I, I will move on. WWE does it right. They don't tell anyone they're going to be there. Dusty told everyone, hey, yeah. Delbert McClinton <laughs> after the main event. What? And there was a, it looked like a Who concert in reverse trying to get out of the stadium <laughs> before Delbert came in. Anyway... So Miz and Snoop Dogg did the intro, and I'm still not happy that Miz was there, but by the end of the show, I was happy that Snoop Dogg was there. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So Brock Lesnar faced almost in the first match, and one would have to think that the order of matches here in this case was determined not only by Brock saying, I got to go on first because the Jets motor is running but also again let's have the fans expectations as low as possible <laughs> they haven't seen anything yet let it the first bump will be memorable because it didn't suck and we were feared it was going to but i you know it was this almost they had to keep it so short and so simple and so glacial paced and that it was kind of like a bait and switch because they built up this goddamn confrontation that afterwards it was like is that what that was is that it was it a letdown even you and i as experts expected it to suck which it would have if it had gone even a minute or two longer, but the average fan and they were all happy to be there. Uh, but do you think even they were like, eh, to start off like that? It was what it was. No, it, I, I can't say it was a two minute match because they drug it out, but it was almost no selling everything. Brock selling great, a bear hug, a couple of body slams and, then Brock Germaned him three times and F5'd him one, two, three. It was great. I thought it was great. <laughs> I loved it. It was exactly how long it should be. It was exactly how much action. It never slowed down. Never slowed down. It never speeded up. It was exactly what it needed to be. Everyone but the, reacted. But everyone yes. reacted. You've never seen Brock get thrown around and get his ass kicked like that. I loved it. I will agree with you that it was exactly what it needed to be. My question is, did it need to be at all? Should they have booked Brock Should versus they Homos? Have booked this at all for WrestleMania? Maybe not, but I'm going to argue about what I reviewed, what I watched. I liked it. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Started things off on a positive note for me. All right. All right. It, it didn't suck, and it very easily could have if they'd have done anything different. I agree with that. 
but it was like, well, you know, we see, here's the thing. And Bobby Lashley comes out later on carrying the Andre, the giant battle Royal trophy. And that's all we saw of him on this show because they fell into the trap of involving that fucking moron Bray Wyatt and his kabuki ish bullshit. And it screwed up the positioning of two of their major stars on the biggest show of the year because after one guy didn't want to, just absolutely didn't want to work with him, and rightfully so, and then the other guy, he fucking disappears on and goes into the fucking vapor. Then nobody still knows what his fucking issue is. So anyway, but that was the the opening match, and yes, uh, again, it was interesting to see Brock get manhandled and be the underdog, but I would I would like, and if he's done, and you know he went out on a high note, he still won. Maybe he's not done now that the Vince is still involved. Remember, he walked out when. They ran Vince off. Now that Vince is back in a big sale to a, his former company, he's been the champion of both of their divisions now. So maybe he's coming back. In that case, you know, he'll 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 move past this, but it was you would hope that Brock could show vulnerability like that with somebody that was actually going to draw money in the future. That's what I'm saying to you. What's draw money in the future, though? On a pay-per-view? So, yes. Uh, well, a pay-per-view or whatever they're going to be, however they're going to be operating this fucking thing, the, you know, going forward. But in some, almost is, you know, the ceiling is there, right? So why not do this now? That's the thing. It's one thing if they had booked this when almost first showed up years ago as whatever. Was he in the fight pit with Shane and Dabo Kato? I don't even remember. But then he's with AJ. He's like his bodyguard. Then he just starts wrestling. Now he's with MVP. If at the very beginning, this giant, who looks ultra impressive, and could do this kind of thing with Brock, if you'd done something like this then, it'd be one thing, but because you haven't, how much longer do you think you keep it almost? Well, you shouldn't say that. They kept Kali around for years. Yeah. They like having giants. Yes. You can't see the giants for the trees. Anyway, speaking of not being able to see things, um, the next match was the four women's team showcase or whatever. Raquel and Liv, Shotzi and Natalia, Rhonda and Shayna, and Cruella and Chelsea. And, you know, I just, I turned my head for a second and got distracted. And I don't know what happened here. What did I miss? I saw this match was coming on the screen, and I also saw that I had the Jim Cornette experience to work on. <laughs> so I decided this will be one of the matches that I don't feel like I'm going to miss anything. And I can't imagine anyone could argue that I would. Okay. So moving forward, the Intercontinental title was on the line. Our boy Gunther against Drew and Seamus, Seamus, Seamus or Seamus. Yeah, you I'll can't just, even get it straight anymore. Seamus. I'm just tired. I'm tired. I'm so tired. Tired of watching the wrestling. <laughs> but I'll give him Seamus for this one. They beat the shit out of each other. Oh, boy. Um, and for some reason, by the way, Titus O'Neil was on color, and he spent... The first five minutes of the match, every time somebody throw a chop, he's, call the police! 
But I guess, you know. This is not the role for him. Not the role for him. No. Uh, I love... I love Gunther and I liked this match and I like all three of these guys in their own way, in their own fashion. And again, it it was a three way. And the thing that bothers me throughout, even though they did a lot of good stuff that we will, will comment on is there's invariably the long stretch where the, one of the three motherfuckers just disappears. Just you, even on the wide shot, do they roll under the ring? Is there a trap door? And then they come back at the right time, but over and over again, and it's the same thing in every match, and it's distracting. You know, to me, when when you can't even find the other guy, and he's gone like he's been abducted rather than just sidelined with a super kick or whatever. But that's what you got to put up with with the three ways. Um, it makes it easier to put up with that. And I agree with you when the crowd is losing their shit at what's going yeah. on. That helps because these guys were, they, they, they all three have the same kind of smash mouth and lay it in style and everything. And it was a big fucking fight. And, uh, Seamus got a standing ovation for 30 of the broad arms. And, uh, you know, they did some good false finishes. And the people were losing their shit. And then again, finally, it came down to Drew and Seamus not being able to coexist with each other. And they wore each other out. And then Gunther came back in right as they were about to fucking finish it. Gunther came back in with a splash off the top and a power bomb on Seamus on Drew. And then a power bomb on Drew. Boom. One, two, three. So thank God the right result you can't critique it like a match because you can't keep track of what go. It's just, they, they trade off doing spots with, you know, each other in, in turn. And then the third guy will come in and break something up and then they'll tag back out or whatever. So you can't really follow it as a match, but they beat the shit out of each other and the people liked it. And Rick Rubin was in the front row. Looking his age. Looking, uh, which is apparently, again, what's the matter with me, Brian? Everybody I've ever known that's either the same age as me or potentially even younger looks like shit, and I remain on the steady curve that I've been. I started out looking kind of like shit, and I've not deviated. But everybody else started out looking good, and they've submerged into total shit. It's like the worst episode of The Twilight Zone I've ever seen. This match was great, and I wasn't looking forward to it because I like Gunther, I'm not a big fan of three-way matches, and I've been bored with Sheamus and Drew. But at some point, with them all kicking the shit out of each other, they got yeah. me into it. And the crowd, the crowd getting so into it got me further into it. So that you could uh, ignore things like people disappearing. But man, when you see all these other matches everywhere, where there's just a spot in the middle of the match or at the end of the match where they stop and they just start trading stuff, and we always say, yeah, those forearms look like shit, or the punches look like shit. Everything they did here looked amazing and looked like yeah. it hurt, and it probably did, and it kept going and going. Like you said, it's hard to critique it like a regular match because of various things, but... It was a fight and it, a struggle, and the 
even if one thing didn't logically follow the other, the emotion and the passion they had and the way that they were swinging and not just hitting each other hard and or recklessly, but, you know, hard in safe places, laying stuff in and working and body language follow through. That's what fires fucking people up. In-ring brawl. That's yeah. what it was. It was an in-ring brawl. Like what you would see in Mid-South Wrestling, maybe not to this level, but just <laughs> stiff and you can't look at that and go, ooh, I want to do that. It's impossible. Yeah. <laughs> good that good analogy or good comment, whichever. And that's it. There needs to be more wrestling going on where you can look at it and say, wow, I like watching this, but no, I don't want to do that. Because we've enticed too many people who's, oh, I can do that. Anybody can do that shit. But yes, so, but anyway, and Gunther retains the Intercontinental title. And uh, remember, I said, was it yesterday when we did the last show? Why can't, or maybe it was the two days ago when we did the one before. Why can't they start a reign for Gunther like they've had for Roman Reigns? And because he's already had the Intercontinental title for longer than most people because they bounced it around like a fucking ping pong ball. So really start doing something with him being a dominant champion. Corey, that's for... We knew what else was going on, but nevertheless... I think he's going to get the record. I think he's going to beat the Honky Tonk Man's record. (laughs) That's the last. I'm serious. I think that's something that was going to happen. You know, I was just thinking it would be not only the funniest thing that ever happened, but also... The And I'm not actually advocating for this. See, this is one of the ideas that guys used to have in the car. The wrestlers, when we'd be driving back from the show, we'd have an idea for booking and we'd pop ourselves, but we would never dream. I would say the best thing was when Gunther has a big ceremony on Raw or wherever the fuck for breaking the honky-tonk man's record, that there would they'd play the music and there would come Wayne and challenge him. But see, then just to see, actually, it would be entertaining for the boys to see Wayne's reaction with the one and only time that Gunther would chop him. And then he would fucking see motherfucker and leave. Anyway. See, if that was on an indie show, he would have found a way to sing his theme song three times and not do anything. (laughs) All right. The following match was for the another one of the women's titles there in, in the company, Bianca Belair against Oscar. And Brian, I want you to know that I realized that you would just harangue me and chastise me and blister me and verbally eviscerate me if I didn't watch this match since I already skipped the other girls, right? So I watched this match, and and you are a bigger fan of Bianca Belair than I am, and you have many good things to say about Oscar. So tell me what you thought of this match first. It took me a while to get into it, but by the end, I was really into it, and I think Bianca Belair is incredibly impressive. Okay. Good match, though. I like the match. Well, see, I'm not well-versed in most of their matches, but I watched this one. After I had watched the previous night, Charlotte Flair and Rhea Ripley, and everybody can look up what we, uh, on the YouTube channel or listen to the podcast, what we thought of that match, but it was the possibly best, what'd you say, best women's match in the United States ever? North America. North America. Um, uh, my favorite 
match of the night of WrestleMania one. This was, and I know, and I'm not saying that Bianca and good old Oscar are the shits. And I'm not saying that they're not, and, and it, they blow away what we see in indie women's wrestling or in the AEW women's division. Um, and you know, my problem with Oscar is not only the fact that they've presented her with such a ludicrous gimmick, and I'm not talking about a kabuki outfit or face paint, but I'm talking about the screaming and the constipated yelling and everything, but also that she's barely as tall as the top rope, which is five feet off the fucking ground, if that. Um, but watching this after watching Charlotte and Rhea, it, this was a modern match. Not even a modern girls match, just a modern match. They started out 100 miles an hour. They did a lot fast. It got sloppy in spots. At, at one point, Bianca Belair powerbombed after they're out on the floor jockeying for position, powerbombed Asuka on the floor, rolled her in the ring, and got a two count. And the very next move was Asuka ducking a charge into the corner, a schoolboy, and then she's fine. And it was back and forth. They did a ton of moves, but it with Charlotte and Rhea, there was there was a babyface and heel dynamic, and also there was the dynamic of the heel becoming the babyface and the babyface incumbent champion becoming technically the heel because the crowd wanted to see a title change. Here they were popping on moves because it's two babyfaces, and Bianca's going to skip around and. Asuka's going to be pleasing. Um, it, it, there wasn't a lot of logic to the match. It was a modern-style match. They did a lot, but nothing really stayed with you. If And finally, Bianca ducks the mist that why did the babyface want to blind the, the champion with mist? We don't know. Uh, just to win the belt? Well, then why is she a babyface? Well, maybe she's not going to be like, I don't care. Oscar got an arm bar. Bianca rolled through and hit her finish one, two, three. The fans loved it. They love modern matches. But after, again, Charlotte and Rhea was not only the best match on night one of WrestleMania as far as a pro wrestling match, you could have taken that and you could have put it anywhere. You could have put it on a WCW pay-per-view in the 90s. Or a WWF pay-per-view in the 90s, the Attitude Era. And it, and it would have torn the house down just like it did, you know, on a Saturday night. You could have put that match in the Superdome in 1985, and Bill Watts would have probably enjoyed it. You could have put that match in St. Petersburg at the Bayfront Center in 1977, and I bet Eddie Graham would have told some of his guys, hey, take some fucking notes. They were working and it was wrestling. This was modern move performance, you know, and and I don't blame Bianca because she's brand new. She didn't grow up in the wrestling business or apparently like Rhea, study it from what I assume was a young age or just have an amazing aptitude for physical movement and know what the fuck to do. And Asuka's from Japan and they got a whole different way of doing things over there these days. But this is not the girl wrestling that I, you know, give a shit about, whereas I would watch the other ones all day long because it was wrestling. It wasn't just girls wrestling. Yeah, but you're comparing anything to the, maybe the greatest 
female match of all time. Well, yeah, but I'm talking, I'm talking about visually, I'm talking about the, their, their styles. I'm talking about the psychologically, the things they did. It, it could have been a guy's match. The future's Bianca versus Rhea. <sighs> I, and that's the problem. I'm I mean, hoping it, that Rhea can bring out the, the best in Bianca or whatever the case, because again, the, um, the legitimate emotion, Bianca, if a fucking heel was to come along and slice her mother in half with a chainsaw would still come out for the match, skipping and twirling her hair. Cause she's, she's been taught to perform. Charlotte has some innate knowledge of what wrestling is based on her family lines. And Rhea is apparently just a fucking savant. I don't, I don't know. Okay. Well, the next match, well, there was more Miz and Snoopy, and the weekend attendance was 161,892. What do you think the real weekend attendance was? Did they say they had like 65,000 tickets out for each night a day or two beforehand? Something like that. Probably like 135,000 or something. But this, <laughs> this counts everybody that was working in the stadium, all the parking attendants, anybody that was around EMT crew. Fucking homeless bums. It is California sleeping in the street outside in the parking lot. Spirits who died during the construction of the building. <laughs> Jimmy Hoffa is buried underneath that. They counted him too. So Miz was upset at Snoop because he put him in a match the previous night. And Snoop said, you want to do it again? And I guess Miz wasn't done complaining because he's like, well, you ruined my suit. I don't come to your studio and show you how to rap. And I'm thinking, boy, if they brought out L.A. Knight right now and he just beat the shit out of the Miz, how big you think that pop would have been? I was waiting to figure out who it would be. That was my first guess just because of what's been happening. Why not capture that moment? Have that here. L.A. night in L.A. That's at right. WrestleMania beating up The Miz, the movie star. Instead, this turned into one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my entire life. I was losing it watching this. I, You know, I couldn't, I couldn't laugh because I've told you before, Shane's my favorite one. I like him. He's, he's got his picadillos, but he's a, a good, he was a good kid. He's a nice guy at heart, right? And he, it just... I guarantee you that he probably called Vince and said, dad, can I do mania one more time? I've been working out. I'm in shape. And I guarantee you that's, and, and I want to redeem myself. Cause what was it? The Royal rumble last year, he didn't make a good impression. And so they, uh, uh, we're going to have folks, if you didn't see this, they were going to have Shane come down and have an impromptu match with the Miz and do what I assume Shane was going over. So Snoop, <laughs> you're not doing it any justice. This was such an all time. Well, I'm, I'm just saying what they were going to do. His music hits. You hear that? Here comes the money thing. And then here comes old Shane McMahon yes. bopping all around the stage doing his thing. You already knew that something was going to go wrong. <laughs> well, because he was huge. 
he looked. Did you see how puffy he he was? Jacked up like a, a jacked up Dana White with hair. His face was round, and he's fifty. He's almost fifty five now, right? Because I'm over sixty. He's about seven or eight years younger than me. Anyway, Shane McMahon is fifty three years old. Okay, so he's fucking. He's huge. He's wearing the tight shirt, showing the big arms. And he's dancing and doing the Ali shuffling the whole nine yards. And when he gets in the ring, he gets a microphone. And as he's, he's didn't really do a promo just to say, uh, to say to the fans, Hey, I love you guys. Thank you for that response. You know, sends his love. He was blowed up already because he'd been so hyper. And then uh, Snoop here, he didn't exactly set this up in a stellar fashion. He's just like, it was, they played the music. Shane comes out. He said, let's get a referee. And no, you're in there. I'm out here or whatever. And the bell rings and Shane immediately starts with the rabbit jabs. Boom, boom, boom. And Miz is back in the corner. And then Shane backs Miz up and shoots him off and drops down. And here's before I tell the people what happened, Brian, in any wrestling school, one of the most elementary fucking things that you would ever learn is you don't shoot a guy off and either let him come off the ropes and give you a move, or you, and you don't shoot a guy off by the arm and drop down. If you drop down, you need to shoot a guy off out of a headlock because then you're committing an offensive move in defense, right? He's in control. You're throwing him off of you. When you're in control of the guy's arm, you're... You're throwing him into the ropes and then dropping down to avoid a move that he shouldn't be able to give you. Have I made that somewhat clear? I think so, yeah. Okay. So Shane arm whips Miz off and drops down because he's got to get some space so he can do his leapfrog. Because Shane has, I guess, decided one of the things he wants to do to show his athleticism is his big high leapfrog. When he, when he was like in the air and a leapfrog, you think he's thinking, wait until Endeavor sees this. They're going to need me around. That, you know what? <laughs> when he hit the height, that was a high leapfrog and he spread those legs out. And goddamn, you could just hear the front row and it would have spread starting the You've Still Got It chant. They went, You've <laughs> Still. And then he landed. And then he buckled. And he went down to the left and spun around over on his fucking hands and knees. And now Miz is coming off the ropes. And he, after he's been leapfrogged, he's coming off the ropes and he sees Shane. Shane is down. Shane is down, as Rene Goulet might say. So he runs past Shane thinking Shane has stumbled and Shane will stand up. If I just run past him and come off the other side, Shane will be back up on his feet by the time I come back to him. And so Miz runs past Shane, who's on his hands and knees, starting to get up. And as Shane gets up and puts weight on his leg, he realizes that he can't get up and he crumples face first to the mat. And Miz comes off the other side of the ropes. And it's like this time Shane tried to fucking... <laughs> Drop down for real and trip Miz's feet out from under him. And Miz just had to stop and stand there and stare at him. And then 
Shane is groveling on the ground because he's turned over on his back and he's he's yelled something, probably, <laughs> I'm fucked. And then Miz backs up in the corner and just has this blank look. And then the, the, the referee goes check on Shane, who obviously cannot get to his feet. And I love that this is a new McMahon thing. The surprise appearance and then blowing out your quads. <laughs> All right, you you've told the people he didn't blow. I thought he blew his knee when, it, but uh, apparently the news after the match was he he tore his quad. The same thing that Vince did. And that's the only thing that's funny at all about it. Poor Shane. I was so embarrassed for him. But the doctor comes in and is checking on him. And here comes, of all people. Now, you see the referee, the, the female referee. She uh, puts her hand to her ear. She's trying to hear her earpiece. I'm pretty sure they're probably telling her something. But I didn't see her have time to talk to Snoop. <laughs> saying i didn't see miz miz just stood there with a blank look on his face snoop dog comes back in and said no it can't be like that and fucking punches miz <laughs> and down goes miz and then i think that the referee may have told him yeah do it again or miz called it or something because miz gets back up and he nails miz again and then snoop dog as they've they've slid Shane out, you never saw him again. Snoop Dogg gives Miz the stiffest people's elbow. He actually did jump up in the air and drop elbow first on this man's sternum. Uh, it looked like shit until it got there, and then it hurt. And covered him one, two, three. So Snoop Dogg pins Miz at WrestleMania. I watched the press conference afterwards. And Triple H put him over big time. He said a lot of wrestlers in that position would have frozen, not known what to do. Yeah, like Miz. This guy, we always knew he was a fan. He's done other things. He showed us that he actually has instincts here <laughs> to go in there. And he saved the segment. And if this is the last appearance of Shane McMahon. That's the, that's the sad thing. I feel so bad for Shane and his, his kids are so nice. And he's just... Can you it's so imagine, embarrassing. Can you imagine? The last time he's there is that Royal Rumble where he didn't look that great in the match and it appeared something was off and then we found that something was off and they told him never come back ever again. And then he shows up here and just seconds into it. Seconds. He's <laughs> and he's, uh, and I'm he's laughing so, too much. I'm sorry I find it. it so funny. It's so funny. And he's, he's, gonna, he's <laughs> fucked his life up for the next six months. Because that will be surgery and recovery and rehab. And, and, and if it, it worked for Tony Khan, the company would pay for it. <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder if he's going to turn this one into the WWF for the new company. What's his WrestleMania payoff going to be? Oh, my God. Um, if I told you the Glenn Kulka story? No. You what's remember the, that, right? I remember Glenn Kulka, but what's what story? Glenn Kulka was a big muscle builder, tough looking guy that had played. He was from Canada and he had played for the Canadian football league. And he was a big time amateur athlete. And he was an early developmental guy. He, before I came down to, uh, uh, 
OVW when they were sending guys down to Memphis to Randy Hale's Power Pro Wrestling. Glenn was part of that. He was a very early developmental program, like first uh, you know, first half a dozen or so guys. Yeah, that's where I remember him from, Memphis. Yeah. And he was a badass looking guy and he was a nice guy and kind of got the the picture and everything, but he had just started training. And so Dr. Tom Pritchard had worked with him and he's one at Dory Funk Jr. had worked with him and he'd been in Memphis and everything. And they goddamn, I can't remember the particulars, but somehow or another, there was a big independent show in his hometown that they had booked and they booked him on so he could go and he could appear. It was either his hometown or his home, the college he graduated from or whatever, but it was, there's a big crowd in this gym and they're all there to see Glenn Kalka. And he comes out and makes the big entrance and gets in the ring and jumps up on the second rope and does the thing where, yay! And, you know, he's got his arms up and the crowd is exulting him and he's so fired up and he's so happy. This infectious crowd behind him, he jumps off the second turnbuckle and turns and jumps back into the middle of the ring and lands and breaks his fucking leg. Oh, man. Boom! Oh, no. Goes down he goes. And, and they carried him out. That's the thing. Whoever Shane said goodbye to in the back before he went out, like seconds later, he was being carted right past them. <laughs> and, and that... Well, while we're on the subject of embarrassing debuts, remember Mike Furness's hot tag in Knoxville? That was for you. Yes. Doug Furness, uh, the world's strongest man, an incredible Japanese star. He went to the University of Tennessee, was a football star, was legitimately uh, one of the strongest men in the world. Power. Everybody knows who Doug Furness is, right? And he's the one that ripped the door off the cage in Knoxville. It led to me stealing it for Kane to rip the door off the hell and cell. And he called me when I was running Smoky Mountain and said, my brother, Mike, who also played football at the University of Tennessee, was a good amateur athlete. My brother, Mike, he wants to learn how to wrestle. If you guys will train him and break him in, I'll come out. Because by then, Doug was living in California. He went to Japan so much for Baba, like every six weeks but he he would come out and work like the big christmas show and some of my big events in knoxville right oh okay great a local hero so we we train mike as best we can horner worked with him and i think tom and and jimmy del rey because we were going to make the match the furnace brothers against the heavenly bodies tom pritchard and jimmy del rey so he worked with Mike and Mike made some TV appearances and he was not, he was not either a natural in the, in the ring or a natural promo. You could tell it wasn't the, the, he wasn't his brother, Doug, unfortunately, not to say he wasn't a nice fella, but you know, Doug's going to be in, right? So we shoot the angle where we beat up Mike Furness. He calls his brother, Doug Christmas night in Knoxville, the big event, our biggest crowd, one of our big crowds of the year, that and the big August show. And it's going to be the Furnace Brothers against Heavenly Bodies. Well, because Mike was going to continue on with us, you know, and continue wrestling, whereas Doug would only make an appearance here and there. And also because Doug was more experienced, Doug said, I'll sell, get the heat on me, and then let's give Mike the tag. He can make the comeback, and then we'll do, you know, the finish. 
And that way I can get it right for Mike and he'll look like a bit. Okay. Perfect. Right. So Doug Furness, it, the heavenly bodies get him in a ring. And he's selling his ass off and they're kicking the shit out of him. And I'm drawing the referee and they're double teaming him and people are getting hot. We're trying to build for this big hot tag. And finally the heavenly bodies go for their, I think it was, if I can't, if I remember right, Tom is holding Doug and Jimmy comes off the top with his big moonsault body block and Doug moves and Tom flattened or Jimmy flattens Tom and they're both down and Doug struggles to the corner and dive and makes the tag and Tom's coming up and as Mike steps through the ropes, he runs as fast and as hard as he can, three steps and leaps up in the air and hits Tom Pritchard with a flying clothesline and Tom takes a big bump and Mike spins around in the air and lands on the mat and continues rolling and rolls all the way out of the ring on the other side and drops to the floor. Just couldn't stop himself and went right under the bottom rope and disappeared. And Jimmy... Jimmy, Jimmy Del Rey is coming up to take the second clothesline and turns around and Tom's laying there flat on his back and there's nobody else in the fucking ring. <laughs> <laughs> and then you see, you see a hand come up on the other side and grab the bottom rope. And he's pulled, he, he pulled himself in and slid right back in and ran as fast as he could at Jimmy and leveled him for the clothesline. And God damn, I'm nervous. He went from the apron of one side of the ring, through the ropes, into the ring, through the air, down, and under the bottom rope on the other side <laughs> of the ring in like two and a half seconds. Oh, God damn it. <sighs> Do you think it'll be uh, SummerSlam or the Royal Rumble when Stephanie comes back to wave to the fans and blow out her quad? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> the, the question is and maybe at, at halloween they can have a special three-legged race with shane and vince tied together all Man, right you know what's funny did vince even blow out his quads last year what, what happened when vince couldn't take the stunner he didn't blow out his quads did he no he just crumpled like a goddamn fucking used slinky and that's the same what like shane's legs just, went he looked exactly the same <laughs> Every year there's going to be a segment where the McMahons come out there and just flop around the ring. And, and here he is, ladies and gentlemen. He walks, he talks, he crawls on his belly like a reptile. Shane McMahon. <sighs> I feel so bad. No, with, with, with the stunner, Vince just, I think... Well, I don't know. You want to talk feeling bad? It was Shane. Shane, famous last words. Hey, Dad, we should buy UFC. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now let's see where they got home. Now Vince <laughs> says to Shane, "Well, Shane, goddamn it, pal, you blew your quad out WrestleMania thirty seconds in, and he can say, well, you motherfucker, at the Royal Rumble, you blew both your quads <laughs> just sliding into the ring.'" And then, then he could say, besides, I told you to buy that UFC. Now That's look right. where we are. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, see, I told you WrestleMania was fun. God damn it. But if <laughs> so, anyway, who else fell out of the ring? I can think of <laughs> See, the problem is Shane's going to go. I can't let that be the last time I'm seen on the grandest stage of them all. 
And what's the other option? It's either I come out there, I do the simple stuff, or I dive off a giant structure. Hey, so I'm worried no, about what, what next time it'll be. You know what? Here's a very interesting thing. Is the new $21 billion company to be <laughs> named whatever that's not completely and totally operated by the WWE, are they going to allow a 53-year-old father of two who hasn't wrestled in several years come out and do something like that? Or even a 56-year-old Stone Cold Steve Austin or a however-year-old whoever the guy. Well, it's funny, on CNBC earlier, Scott Wapner asked uh, Ari Emanuel and Vince McMahon, he said, what if Mr. McMahon, the character, wants to come out and do something in the ring? Is that okay? And before Ari Emanuel answered, Vince's like, ah, he's dead. The character's dead. <laughs> but Ari Emanuel said, yes, whatever he wants to do, he's allowed to do. So well, I think they're going to still operate under Vince's rules. No, but think about this. Well, they, they I, might I agree have, the liability is much bigger. They might have until, until their legal department, hey, all that, Sinclair Broadcasting, they were a billion-dollar company, at least on paper, when they bought Ring of Honor. Point me to your legal department. <laughs> and listen, listen here, we were in Charleston, West Virginia. The goddamn, I get a phone call from the legal department saying that the guys can't take part in a chicken wing eating contest at Hooters that night that was our sponsor. Or the fans couldn't, or the guys could, but the fans couldn't, or something. I said, what are you talking? Well, there's a liability. I said, wait a minute. So if one of these motherfuckers chokes on a fucking chicken bone at Hooters because we said, hey, get in a contest to see if you can eat more chicken wings than Jay Briscoe, they're going to be able to sue us? Oh, it could. I, God, I threw my cell phone all the way across the building. So what I'm saying to you is now that live in front of sixty to 80,000 people, depending on the report, and... God and everybody on pay-per-view and streaming television, Shane McMahon seriously injured himself and is going to require surgery. He's 53 years old doing a leapfrog. Are they going to are they going to have a another situation where okay, if you're past such and such age, you can't participate or you've got to pass a physical for any kind of interaction because they don't understand what can be worked and what can't be. I mean, Steve Austin could come out. He's not going to try to do a fucking leapfrog. He's got a bad knee, but he can still be Steve Austin as we saw in doing Steve Austin things. But will they be able to differentiate that between the people that can get by with it and do what they need to do and won't hurt themselves and the people that obviously or apparently can't. And how do you do who's going to be determining that the legal department? liability multi-billions of dollars it's not like you know well dad said i could anymore anyway and speaking of liability the next match but answer me that there brian last what do you think until we're shown otherwise i'm going to go under the assumption they're going to keep doing things the way they do it they are better about these things than aew I think we will see at WrestleMania 40, Shane versus Dante Martin, <laughs> the big match. But 
you know, I mean, I don't, Shane shouldn't be out think, there to I begin with. I think Shane's got a better chance of being on WrestleMania 40 than Dante Martin, but go ahead. But I mean, Shane shouldn't be out there to begin with. There's a difference between a Steve Austin being billed to be there and used in a limited capacity to take advantage of his star power versus a 50-something who shouldn't be doing... I mean, it's one thing if Shane went out there and just delivered the bad punches, okay? And then you set him up for Snoop to do something. But as soon as he went to do something physical that he can't do, it just made the whole thing look bad. Well, and I'm not arguing with you about that. I'm, I'm saying that I think that somebody in the legal department wouldn't know the difference in how that could be handled. Whose legal department? Does WWE maintain their own legal department or is it part of Endeavor's? Uh... See, that's the thing. How many jobs in corporate are going to be eliminated because of redundancy? And also duplication. What was the next match? Well, I'll tell you what the next match was, Brian. It was hell in a cell. And boy, it was hell. They, they were snake bit this night. I, I, when have you seen two inadvertent injuries come within, what, 20 minutes of each other? Not even? In WWE? Not often. Yeah, depending on how long the fucking entrances took. It was Edge and Finn Balor, and they did the big entrances, and Finn came out as the demon. And boy, the you know, they go overboard now. They got a budget on these entrances. Now very theatrical, blah blah blah. But it's a hell in a cell match. So they they start out trading a couple of punches, and then they both just jump out of the ring not connected to each other, not fighting. They jump out of the ring and both go under the ring and start pulling out weapons in the first minute. They got a hat on a hat. And whether it's kendo sticks or a chair. And then uh, apparently now the demon was before we started reviewing for the most part. I remember seeing clips, a little bit of him. But now when he paints his face, he doesn't sell chair shots. Is that the... Uh, is that the, the M.O. here? He's invulnerable because of his face paint. You know, I haven't seen the face paint thing in a while, but when he first came out on the entranceway and they're making a big deal out of him being the demon, you know, I wanted to really pay attention to it. And again, I lost it. I'm coming out of the Shane McMahon segment, which made me cry with laughter. And it appears one of the things the demon does is just stick his tongue out. <laughs> so, like, he's on the entrance trying to be like this evil demon. He's just sticking his tongue out. It looks ridiculous. Not like in an evil, I'm a demon way, but like, I'm a little kid and I'm mad at you away. If he's the demon, he is impervious to pain, except when he starts feeling pain. Except when he feels pain. Yes. So half the match at the start was guys going out to get other gimmicks out from under the ring. And Edge did a deal where he put Balor in the corner of the cage and wedged him in with kendo sticks through the through the link of the the chain link of the fence so like and then he would go and get more gimmicks like that a guy couldn't just take and goddamn remove those help me brian was he he was not immobilized in a way that you could like if this was an a western and and you were robbing the bank he wasn't tied up like the school marmed where she couldn't get out and warn the sheriff he was just standing there in the corner of the cage with two kendo sticks in front of him to keep him in. And he responded like any of us would, by sticking at his tongue and <laughs> making <Yes>. faces. 
so then Edge pulled out a table and le- leaned it up in the corner. And now that, you know, I said they hadn't been in the ring since first 30 seconds at this point. Now they got back in the ring and got right back out. And Finn drop kicked Edge through the table and pulled out another chair and another chair and another chair and was throwing him and hitting Edge in the head with him. And I was losing my patience. And then they got in the ring. Edge did two moves, got a two count. They went back to the floor and pulled out a ladder. And then Edge came in and threw the ladder at Finn Balor and hit him in the head. And he sold that one and went down. And immediately there was a pool of blood forming. And then the referee starts holding Edge off and the camera gets a close-up of Edge and the people start booing because the referee is holding Edge from attacking his opponent in a Hell in a Cell match with no DQ and a blah, blah, blah. And I saw a bunch of people on Twitter, what? how dare they stop it? Uh, they didn't stop the whole match, folks. Don't panic now. But how dare they halt the match for blood? It's Hell in a Cell. Well, if you saw the picture of Finn Balor's head <laughs> afterwards, it was a giant fucking gash. Well, he threw the ladder right at his head. The way yes. it hit him, like, perfect. And he got his hands up, fortunately. They just went through the fucking ladder and the rung of it hit him in the head. Um, but so now what they do is they won't show any of Finn on camera whatsoever. So they've got a close-up of Edge. And it's and the announcers are calling it, but it's off-putting because it's just a close-up of Edge staring there and you can't see what's going on. Then Edge goes out and pulls out more weapons because he knows the camera's on him and at least he's giving people something to look at. And they'll pop but, for it. And they pop for it. But this is the thing, apparently from what I'm told from people in the building, they gave Balor a quick shot, a numbing shot, and stapled his head up so he could continue. Because yeah. it's WrestleMania. That's what I heard. However, and I'm fully in favor of that, you know, that that they should treat, because that was a bad cut, right? However, could they not? This is what I would have said if I was at the gorilla position to the announcers and the ring announcer. I would have told the ring announcer, Go to the referee and say what I tell you to say. Ladies and gentlemen, the referee is momentarily halting this contest because of the depth of the cut on Finn Balor's head. If the doctor rules that Balor cannot continue, Edge will be the winner. Everybody will boo, right? Because you don't know what's going to go on yet, but everybody's still going to boo because that's what's going to happen if this guy got to get carried out to the hospital. Edge will be declared the winner and we'll have another fucked up match. But if not, if he can go on, then it gives the guy or it gives the people a pop when the guy says, I can continue. So then get a long shot, get a wide shot from up in the stands. They're in a stadium. They could be so far back. You couldn't fucking see them with a telescope, but don't deliberately do close-ups and not shoot what the announcers are talking about. It was off-putting the whole thing. And then once they got Balor closed up, then the uh, ring announcer can tell the people, ladies and gentlemen, Balor insists on continuing against doctor's orders, and the match will go on. Yay! And then they continue. 
but instead they it was did did you see it as being that odd and people at home had to be going what the fuck is this even though they knew what the fuck was going on why are they shooting it that way i mean wwe did as good a job as they could to ignore it and pretend it wasn't there but it was there and you know edge eventually like i said got pops for getting out other things that he could use in the match there aren't a lot of wrestling people there with instincts who would jump in there and say what you just said but that would have, it would have not only told the people at home Maybe something. if Snoop Dogg was at ringside, we'd have Maybe someone there. Maybe if Snoop Dogg, yeah. yeah. Me and Snoop Dogg think a lot alike from what I've heard. But it would have told the people at home and the people in the building, and it would have, when you think about it with what happened, that he was able to continue, and they did do at least much of the rest of what they had originally been going to do, you could have actually booked that spot. But it would have been a shoot. That's fucking wrestling. You can't really. To, was that supposed to happen? Well, it worked out okay. And we're at the back going. Whoosh. Anyway, finally, the demon continues. They went into false finishes at 100 miles an hour. Finn got a two count with a double stomp, tried to come off the ladder, but Edge stopped him and DDT'd him off the ladder for a two count. And I'm like, okay, now my. A DDT off the fucking ladder. Is a two count now after the guy's already had his head closed back up. You see, that's the thing. That's the only thing that did bother me just because eventually you couldn't completely ignore the fact that he clearly was really badly hurt on that ladder shot. They showed you the ladder shot several times. It was brutal. But then he shouldn't be selling things to his face anymore. <laughs> well, it's the same point. Do you have to do all that shit to a guy that's already got his head stapled back together? And it just got ridiculous. And again... Then they did another deal where Finn went for the stomp off the cage through a table, but Edge moves and he stomps through the table and Edge spears him and gets a two count. Jesus Christ. Because they had to finish the story by Edge giving him the concerto. And now, and then his head really should have been caved in. They, they got given a gift in that they had a bad incident turn into a positive and that they could continue. Did they still have to, after the, again, after the guy's already bled buckets and maybe he's a little bit weaker now. Maybe that's his out. Maybe that's the demon's excuse for winning or for losing is that, you know, he was injured early on in the contest. So it didn't take a goddamn Paul Bunyan swing with a metal chair while the guy's head is laying on another chair to beat him. They they called one audible, they could have called another one. I don't know. Uh, but this was, again, you know, the Hell in a Cell doesn't need kendo sticks and chairs and tables and fucking Zabadab because then it's just, it's chaos and it's a mess and it's a stunt show. Instead of the 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 best story that they told in retrospect in the match was the one that they didn't plan. Go ahead. Not much I can add to it. I've not been a fan of Edge on this run. And I'm not a big fan of just nonstop weapons. I mean, it's hell in a cell and they went right to the weapons. I did get into it a bit after Finn Balor got hurt. There's something about a guy legitimately getting hurt. Yeah. And wondering what's going to happen next. And then they just ran through all the spots they were going to do anyway. <laughs> You know, all right for what it was, but I just haven't really dug 
the Edge stuff. The Judgment Day to me is all about Rhea and Dom and Priest. I have not liked the Balor Edge feud. And I, I I liked Edge when he came back, and I like a lot of what Edge does. But this hasn't. And and again, he's still in his matches. He's doing a lot of weapons, a lot of weapons. And you would have thought maybe he might have figured out about them ladders. But nevertheless, should we get to the main event of the evening? The main event <laughs> for the undisputed Universal Champion. What is that way of announcing? It's because everybody thinks that they're Michael Buffer now. And I don't know. And, and some of them, they're imitating Smiley Roberts over on the other channel when he herniates himself whenever Moxley comes out. Well, this was the big match, the one everyone was waiting for. Roman Reigns, the Universal Champion versus Cody Rhodes. Well, I would have liked to wait it a little longer after I saw what I saw. Um... Cody's entrance in the Sergeant Pepper outfit with his mom and the whole family in the front row, that was good. Uh, were there six grand pianos for Roman Reigns' entrance? <laughs> well, there were six pianos. It looked like one guy had a Casio stuffed in there, so I don't know what they were really playing, but... I'm not sure. It may have been, uh, you know, uh, Kay Kaiser and his College of Musical Knowledge, but nevertheless... Get Shane out of the way! We need to get the pianos <laughs> down the hall! <laughs> Hey, real quick, I thought it was really cool that Cody Rhodes had Brody Lee Jr. negative one in AEW there at ringside, and uh, you know I'm sure it meant a lot to him. Yes, really cool. and and gave and did he he gave him the the belt right the weight belt right, but then Solo stole it that dastardly yeah. Solo Sokoa. No good son of a gun. But yeah, now that's the way to use Brody Lee's son and make him feel good and make him part of things and not. You know, the way that AEW... But again, another company does AEW shit better than AEW does. Um, From the time Roman Reigns said, acknowledge me, and the people blew, they were into this. It's what they came to see. And the match, I thought, was as close to... As perfect as... Until the finish, was as close to as perfectly what they should have done as possible. And again... You know, they start with wrestling and they did exactly what they should do a back and forth, but not trading moves with each other. It was momentum changes where it made sense that one guy would take over and then something would happen and the other guy would get blah, blah, blah. And then again, they're, they're not going to take all the giant bumps in the first part of the match, but the, the Cody especially has been mixing his matches up where he'll give them some wrestling. He'll give them a cute spot that pays off and gets a pop. They'll go out on the floor and they'll rattle some things around and a couple of body slams on the floor. But Cody at the same time, at least pays lip service to rolling in and breaking the count to the referee so that he doesn't bury it completely, even though it's very loose, a little bit of everything to keep it moving. And they obviously clearly set up who was heel and who was babyface. Solo and Heyman are there, and Solo interfered. Hit Cody in the ribs with a chair. And then Cody would fire up a second later, and Solo tripped him. And uh, then they did the, one of the big bumps, the big spots, where they went out to the announce desks, and Roman tried the pile driver. 
and Cody backdropped him through the desk, and that looked like a million dollars. But then <laughs> Cody rolls Roman in, and Roman was running again. Even he, even here, even them. But Cody makes a big comeback. People are up. He hits the first Cody cutter. Gets a two count. And then he hits his dive and throws him in. And that's where Solo stole the belt and whipped it with or whipped Cody with it. And good old referee Rudy Charles from TNA, my old friend, heard it and kicked Solo out of ringside. And now they start the big false finishes, and they had some great ones. Uh, Cody superkick and crossroads, two count. Roman rock bottom, two count. Cody pedigree, two count. Roman Superman punch, two count. And now you're seeing Roman Reigns' facials. He's got doubt. He's got despair. He's got, dare I say, even panic, right? The facials were great on Roman because he was into another zone of showing vulnerability, right? Yes, I'm agreeing with you, yes. So then, again, you know, some more uh, false finishes. When Cody got the figure four, the announcer, uh, Cole and Corey Graves, popped like it was Dusty's hold. How many matches did his old man win with that? Almost none. How many championships? He actually championships. said, how many championships yeah. has he yeah. won yeah. with that hold? Not one I could think of. The only time when he wrestled Flair and would reverse it. That's when he'd get the figure four. Dusty Rhodes won more matches with a flying cross body than he did the figure four leg lock. And that wasn't really a flying. It was just a cross body. <laughs> it's more like a cross body drop. Anyway, so then there was a Roman reversed the figure four. Cody got the ropes. Roman hit a spear and got a two count. And then he front face locked Cody, but Cody fought out of it. And Cody got the ground and pound, went for the kick, and Roman moved and they wiped the referee out. And then Roman hit the punch, but then Cody hit a clothesline and they both sold. And Cody was going to go for the crossroads when here come the Usos with the super kicks and a 1D on Cody. And they drag Roman into the cover, but then here comes... Sammy and Owens hit, and they fight the Usos, you know, uh, um, to the point where the Usos bail. And then I was like, Owens gave Roman a stunner, and Sammy hit the kick on Roman. And I didn't know, because I still thought they were going to do the right thing. And I thought, oh, I don't know how I felt about that. And because to me, when baby faces run out to stop interference in a title match or for a top to help a top baby face, they can't do any damage for him. They only have to level the playing field. They have to take out the people that are interfering. They have to neutralize the outside menace. But when they do damage to the baby face's actual opponent, then that becomes this guy not doing his on his own, but he had people helping him. Now we didn't have to cross that bridge by the time we got to it, but that's what I was concerned about there. But then the Usos came back in and fought Sammy and Kevin off. So Cody at, at that point crawled back in 
and covered Roman, and the referee got back in and gave the slow count like this is going to be it. Two count. Kick out. And I'm, ah. Now I wrote, going too far? Question mark. Because if that's not it, what can be, right? And they fought on their knees, and they went back and forth, and then Cody hit the jabs and the flip-flop and fly and the bionic elbow. And the people are up again, and a crossroads, and a second crossroads. And as he's pulled him up, and he's going to go for another one, Heyman jumps up on the apron and draws the referee. And Cody's standing there for longer than he should have been. And then in comes Solo in a hoodie in disguise and hits him in the throat with the spike. And Roman hits the ropes after he's been flip-flopped and flied and bionic elbowed and crossroads twice. Roman jumps up, hits the ropes, and spears him. One, two, three. Cody is defeated. And it went, What do you think, Brian? I was really getting into it by the end of it. And when Solo hit that spike before the pin actually happened, I said, oh, no. And then Roman won. Like everyone, disappointed, had expectations going into this. We talked about the Lex Luger comparisons. It wasn't even that. I feel bad for Cody. WWE, you know, Paul Levesque during the press conference after the fact said, we have our story. We're still telling it. This is still the beginning of the bloodline story. So they don't see Cody winning it as, you know, they see Cody winning it maybe the same way they saw Sammy winning it. This is just another step to whatever the bigger story is. It better not be Dwayne Johnson coming back to end the bloodline. It has to be someone being made because of this. And Cody was in that spot. I mean, the big question I have coming out of this, I mean, Roman and the bloodline, the storyline will continue starting tonight on Raw. But for Cody, even if he wins the title now at some point, it doesn't mean as much as it would have. So, See, that's... Well, go, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Go ahead. Well, that's the thing. That's exactly the thing. It probably won't mean as much. Now, again, they can have some, and they better but they can be convinced that they have some twists and turns, some development, whatever's going to happen from here, that it'll be, wait till you see it, and it'll all play out, and it'll be even better than, you know, you thought it was going to be. That's, I'm sure, what's in the mind of creative in the office, and I'm sure there's a lot of people who trust them and like them are going to be saying, well, of course, we're, we, they weren't going to do it then. And, you got to see how, what's going to happen and how everything's going to play out. The, the problem is this is a story. And at some point, every story, even at new chapters, you can't just have an endless book. Every story has to come to an end and then you either write a new story with new characters or you use the same characters and you write a sequel but every story has to have some nominal end, and this was the perfect place for this one. If the, if the peck tear hadn't happened, and the when Cody first came in, 
they, they were probably pointing toward this year's WrestleMania anyway. I don't know what they would have done to keep him busy if he hadn't been out for nine months. But when the peck tear happened and the packages have been so good, the promos have been so good, people have gotten into the story. People are always into the fucking story until they're not into the story anymore. And the balancing act that you walk is trying to, it's the same thing, telling a joke. Or fucking, the, the punchline has to come with the timing, comic timing, athletic timing, everything's timing. When the time is right, as Abdullah the Butcher used to say. And I, I'm sorry, but I just wonder if this is maybe an even bigger budget equivalent of the Sheik throwing the fireball at Andre in Toronto. Well, now is the, the people just say, well, fuck, okay, that's it. There is no hope now. So we'll go about our business. For the people who don't know what I just referenced, the Sheik for seven years in Toronto was undefeated. And they ran Toronto 25 times a year in those days. Every show that he was on, he was in the main event. He was on almost all the shows, and every show that he was on drew more than 10,000 people. So he was selling north of a quarter of a million tickets a year in Toronto alone for seven years. Never lost. They finally, they bring in Andre the Giant. Andre versus the Sheik. People, now it's, this has got to be it. Andre fucking comes in the ring. Sheik comes in the ring. They go two minutes. Sheik throws a fireball in Andre's face. Andre rolls out, gets counted out. And Sheik never drew 10,000 people in Toronto again, did he, after that? I don't think so. So <laughs> there's a time where every good story peaks, where every, we talked about it on the previous show, where sometimes you have to give the people what they expect because it's the logical thing. And when you sometimes extend these things past their, natural life it it doesn't have the same effect when you finally do whatever you're going to do so i i don't have a good feeling that that they did the right thing because of the anticipation and the expectation and the genuine you know wanting this more than people mostly usually lately recently have wanted anything to happen in that whole company and they may have put it off into the point where it ain't going to pop like it would have. And now the story also is beyond the bloodline stuff tonight, Cody, because he didn't just lose. He was laying there in the ring while they celebrated. And then as they left, he was just in the ring sitting there by himself. You know, there wasn't a big, all right, let's hear it for Cody moment or anything <laughs> at the end. He was just sitting there seeing all this happen. So it's going to be... The creative is going to be a big part of this. What are they going to do with Cody from here? Who are, who are they going to make in the next year that will have a better story, more momentum, more attractive, culminate in such a, a place, in such a way, with such a match that they can make that person by beating Roman Reigns? If not now and this guy, then when and who? Well, time will tell, but that was night two of WrestleMania 39. 
And with that, we will travel through time and go to the rest of the drive-thru right now. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, here on PBS. I feel like I've been through the transporter on the Enterprise there. Is it really like over 12 hours later than it was just five seconds ago? You know what's weird? Like two days ago, I was in such a good mood because of wrestling. And now, like, they did it to me. They, they did it to me again. <laughs> they beat that passion out of you. They wrung the emotion out of you. They, they squeezed the enjoyment out of you. Saturday was an example of what WWE could be. And then the next two days were a reminder of what WWE is. And is not going anywhere, as we'll get into. Um, but yes, before we took that brief break to go watch more wrestling and come back and talk about it, I realized something when I left you, uh, obviously, you know, virtually, as they say, and I went down and watched the local news yesterday with all the WrestleMania and everything. I didn't even focus on it. Yesterday was April 3rd. And you know me in April 3rd and longtime listeners of the program and anybody living in the metropolitan Louisville area knows that April 3rd, 1974 was the date of the, the, it was tornado day. The, I think they rated it the number three most dangerous, deadly outbreak of tornadoes in United States history. And Mark Weinberg, my weather guy said, if they had the modern uh, measuring devices and the radar and all the stuff that, that they have now back then, it would be the worst of all time. And they showed, as they do every year on the news, they showed the retrospective footage of all the chaos and the destruction. And whole, And they see the weather report that day, and I did not remember this because I was 12 years old. That's what scarred me now that I'm an old man. I'm watching the fucking severe weather reports. The weather forecast that day, 49 years ago, was warm and windy. And when we got finished with that warm and windy, there were 30-something people dead in Meade County, a uh, half dozen or so in Louisville, 15 or 16 in southern Indiana, and that was just this region, not even counting Ohio, Arkansas, blah, 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 blah. So the reason I bring this up is because last Friday, the weather I was talking about, we actually did have a tornado. Remember that green lightning I was telling you about? The Transformers blowing four miles northeast of me. No, wait, north. Yes, northeast of me was a F1 tornado for a couple miles. And they have, the Weather Service finally uh, authorized that or, you know, investigated and classified it. What is so, F1 on the scale? I don't know. That's the that's the low one. It's like, well, it was 85 mile an hour winds, and that's the easy one. That's that's the if you got to have one, that's the one you want. And that's 85 miles an hour. But still, it's a little too close to to home. You know that's why I get this anxiety, Brian. That's why I get this this bad feeling in the pit of my gut. You know about bad feelings in the pit of your gut, don't you? Not anymore. Will you have a bad feeling in the pit of your gut every time you watch a WWE pay-per-view that baits and switches you? Oh, that's true. That's true. 
But see, here's the thing. It's the anxiety. It's the heaviness. It's the dread. It's the feeling of impending doom. And that sinks down into your gut. And you know what a, you know what that is, don't you, Brian? As, as Mama Cornette used to say, that's a sign of a being green around the gills when you've got an unhealthy gut. And you know that you've seen this on the news lately where you see people footage of people walking down the street and they are bright green from their, from their jaw down to their sternum and around to their ears. They're green around the gills because they got poor gut health. So the point is if you're green folks, if your skin is turning green around your neckal area, it could be a sign of poor gut health. And everybody in the world is talking about gut health these days. There are over 3.8 million posts on Instagram tagged gut health. Did you know that? I did and not a know staggering, that. No. A staggering 653.7 million videos on TikTok about gut health. That would stagger me. Many, anybody who would put a video up on TikTok about gut health has to be staggering potentially falling down drunk. And if you Google gut health, it will give you 29.7 million news results. And you know why? Because nobody understands anything about the health of the gut. You got the probiotics, you got the prebiotics, you got the antibiotics. Nobody knows whose side those biotics are on. And the microbiomes, people are buzzing about. That's water cooler conversation everywhere you go. Any water cooler, people are talking about microbiomes, but they don't understand them. And I was just looking at the information given to me by our friends over at Seed, the makers of Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic, and it's amazing. Discoveries in microbiome research are transforming medicine, hygiene, diet, and the choices we make each day for our health, but... With this new frontier of science comes an overload of information and misinformation that can feel confusing and overwhelming. And then what they do is they give you a bunch of information that is confusing and overwhelming. <laughs> no person, no layperson could possibly understand the different types of biotics, whether pro, pre, post, anti that you should possibly put inside your gut. The average person would read a couple of paragraphs of this and just go out in the yard and scoop up some dirt and stick it down their neck. They wouldn't know what to do. And that's why you have to leave this to the professionals and the experts. <laughs> because they're the only ones, for whatever reason, whatever has called them in their lives, to study this complete blithering shit and figure out how the fuck to apply it to make people's lives better and their health happier. I have no idea what motivates these people because this shit would drive you crazy. You would be as crazy as a rainbow trout in a car wash if you tried to understand all the things about the intestinal transit time for the microorganisms of the diverse pathways and mechanisms. So here's what you need to do, folks. Don't even think about all that stuff. Just realize that pretty soon, if you don't have a healthy gut, you're going to, if you don't die, you're going to have horrible breath. So go right now and make it a habit, a daily habit of taking seeds DS01 daily symbiotic to do whatever it is 
that is necessary to your stomach so that you don't belch fire and fart lava. Go right now to seed.com, that's S-E-E-D.com slash drive, and use the code drive, D-R-I-V-E, obviously. You've got a sick stomach. You're not an idiot. You can spell drive. And you're going to redeem 25% off your first month of Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic. Imagine that, 25% off. And what, what's, a, what's too much of a price to pay for not having the sour belches on a daily basis and, and, and giving your gut a place, a warm place to make you happy? Because after all, if, if your gut's not happy, folks, you're not going to be happy. But you know what they say? Happy gut, happy, I don't know. I don't know what they say because I haven't studied this. Yeah, no one says that. I know Nobody that. says that. So Seed, they're the experts, and that's what you need to do. Go to Seed.com, tell you all about it. Seed.com slash drive, and use the code DRIVE to get 25% off your first month of the Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic that will just give you happy bowels all day long. That's right. The cure to the blithering shits has a healthy gut. And Jim, let's move on. Speaking of the blithering shits, WWE presented Monday Night Raw this past week, usually a hot commodity. The Raw after WrestleMania. And everyone was intrigued to see what was going to happen with Cody Rhodes and Roman Reigns and the bloodline and how anything is going to tie together to excite you for the next six months or whatever it may be. I'm assuming you watched this. Sorry, excuse for a show. Yes, and let me just say that I think that the one thing they did accomplish was nobody called this. Nobody predicted exactly this turn or bump in the road or whatever. Um, Vince back at Gorilla? No one predicted that? Well, no, I'm talking about what they did on the air. I think some people were predicting what they did off the air. And and Vince didn't just show up, from what I understand, at Gorilla right at the start and run the whole show. He kind of hijacked it. (laughs) He insinuated himself in over the course of time to where at the start he wasn't even there. It was Owen. But by the time it was over with, he was right there with the fucking riding crop and barking the commands. I mean, I I don't know whether we should be talking to the people who saw this and know what happened or talking to the people who didn't see it and rely on us to to tell them and I don't want to spoil the thing at the end. We'll we'll just go chronologically. Yeah. As it happened. Yeah, I think that's the only way to do it. Because the temptation is to from the start go, well, these motherfuckers. They opened the show, and this was April 3rd, of course, with the big WrestleMania, you know, video package with the highlights and the results of the major matches, and and that was very nice, you know, made it look like a big spectacle as it was. And then all of it, boom, Triple H, his music. And it was that new music? He's had several different variations of the same thing. So it's either one of those or it's a new cut of one of those. I thought it was all about the game and how you play it and all about the game and how you play it. And Every song's about the game or he's the king or bow to him. He's got some kind of complex, this guy. <laughs> he's a fucking Napoleon. 
Uh, but anyway, uh, so uh, Triple H comes out and does a promo as the they introduced him as WWE Hall of Famer. His graphic lower third had um, chief content officer. And he did the promo thanking the fans for WrestleMania and blah, blah, blah. And then as it went on, obviously, he segues into talking about the sale without ever saying the company was sold, just winking at the news they made after WrestleMania. And then, Brian, did it become trying too hard promo? Did it become... He beat it to death almost. There was 160,000 people in a stadium and nothing's going to change. And this is the WWE that you love and we love. We all love. We're not going anywhere. Man, as soon as he walked out, as soon as he walked out and all throughout this thing, I had the same thought, which was, when is he going to announce his leave of absence? Because that's what, <laughs> that's what's coming. No, what, what, but in this one, it was a rah-rah speech. Maybe they thought that their most devoted fans there and the people tuning in would be trepidatious about the sale or panicked or, you know, run around like their heads are on fire. What's going to happen or what's the case. So I can understand someone in a position of power in the old days, that would have been Vince given this promo. I, I think they probably realized, I don't know if he realized he's not up to it anymore verbally, but, he probably realized he wasn't the guy to do it. The, the baby face is Triple H in the fans' eyes, so he was the one that, to deliver the message, but was he talking to the fans or the wrestlers? And was he trying really hard, really hard, to say everything's going to be the same, don't panic, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain? Well, they see right there, the man behind the curtain, as soon as he got up from his chair, a mysterious man with a mustache <laughs> sat in his chair... And never got up the rest of the night. And, and wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on. There's there's news coming in on Twitter. Have you seen it? Triple H found tied to the railroad track. <laughs> um, but anyway, I thought <laughs> I thought it was a little energetic. Uh that maybe as Mama Cornette used to say, protesting too much is what and and you're gonna hear some some humming and buzzing and things because now my, my grounds crew apparently has showed up without forethought, uh, outside. So don't bitch at me for the audio here. But anyway, what did you think of triple H before we go forward with the promo show? I can't explain it, but what I just said to you is legitimate. I thought because of his body language, the way he came out, and I know he can't just be as, and it sounds crazy as physical, I would guess as doing his full ring entrance because of his, limitations because of the cardiac event or whatever they called it. But there was like a sense of sadness or something around him. I don't know. Maybe it's just me that picked up on that. That's why I thought he's going to announce he's going home. He's going to go join what? Stephanie at home. And instead it became this, I'm going to say something without saying anything. Like he said nothing except like, don't worry about it. And while this is all going on, Everyone in the back is fucking texting a wrestling reporter like, oh, fuck, no, he's back, <laughs> he's back. So, I mean, I don't know who this was for exactly. You know, don't think that they aren't doing things publicly for shareholders, too, sometimes. I like the idea of starting the show with Triple H, but what was this? Well, and you know- And it went the, forever. 
But you know what? That's the other thing. Uh, and I know we're going to keep talking about what it was, but before the first commercial, like before <laughs> I knew it, it was like 15 minutes in, Triple H is in the ring. And then I get oh, 30 wait, minutes wait, yeah. in, everything else was going on still. They went commercial free and snuck that in on us pretty much for the first hour. Uh, but they didn't go talk free. But when you said the, the air of sadness around it, Kevin Sullivan used to say, he's got the point. What? He said, when somebody's got something troubling them, you see it on their face when right in, on their forehead, in between their eyes, their brow is furrowed. They're coming to a point. It's almost like a, a squint where it's just the, the weight of the world is centering on that part. And I think he had a little bit of the, the point on there, right in between his eyes on his forehead, a little wrinkliness there. Hey, listen, whoever it is, your father, your grandfather, you know, that's the kind of relationship it really is with Vince, your father-in-law, they go home and you run this business creatively for whatever it was, almost a year. You're getting results. People are digging the big stuff. Everything's making sense. It's great. I shouldn't say it's great, but things are picking up and things are looking yeah. good. It's not as bad as it was under Vince with the humor and everything else. There's still elements of it, but not as bad. And now this, and now it's back to Vince. And again... Uh, so if you're him, I just yeah. imagine you run the business, you're doing good, all of a sudden... You're right back to where you were. And a lot of reports were that a lot of the guys are going, ah, but obviously that's not going to, um, it's not going to be universal that all the guys are going, ah, Vince, because some of them like Brock, as we'll get to, uh, yeah. remember he walked out as we mentioned earlier. And I think the same program we're still doing it was yesterday, but he walked out when they, they told him Vince was going home. And and I've also heard that there were some last-minute rewrites on the format for Raw that were given out while the show was going on. So a lot of <laughs> a lot of Vinceisms are returning. But anyway, that wasn't the end of the segment because then Triple H asked us to all acknowledge the nine hundred and what is it up to sixty days now or whatever, and they play. Roman's music, and here comes Roman and Paul E. And, and Solo, and they flow into this in-ring interview where they come in as soon as they're in the ring and, you know, in seconds, Cody music. And I was looking for it. What was, what was your opinion on the, on the crowd reaction to Cody coming out here? Was it as good as it's been, less than it's been, same as it's been. More than it's been. What was it? Slightly less than it's been, but I don't know how much of that is Cody's fault versus the deflation of him not coming out as the champion. Now he's still chasing. But I think there was a slight air of optimism, like, and I'm not saying this is the right thought. There were some people that thought, okay, we're going to get the title change tonight. And they kind of snuffed that out pretty quickly, too. They didn't seem to be going... Bat shit insane, but they still they chanted Jesus. for him. It is <laughs> it is loud on your side. Well, he's he's actually doing the shag carpet in the next room now with the lawnmower. Just so you know, you sure it's um, not the spies. You sure it's not the uh, drones above you or anything? I have a feeling it's those ISPs. 
But anyway, so Cody, oh my God, what a day. So Cody is in the ring and he does a promo that makes the best of it. The, I think the best that he could have under the circumstances, he was serious. It was good. He wants a rematch and he wants it tonight. And that's, again, the people were kind of optimistic. And then Paulie and Roman confer and Paul says, no rematch, nowhere, no how, no time. And then again, the stipulation he had after his first title match in AEW. It, well, yes, yes. Um, but also, then the, the remember we've said everything with Cody and this interaction and Roman and Paul. It, it's all logical. It leads from one thing to another. You get okay. Well, then Cody, after he finds out he's not ever going to get a rematch anywhere, well, how about a tag team match with you and Solo? Where did that come from? Yeah. Um, and yeah, he wants to fight him. Okay, and so then Paulie confers with Roman, and they come back and say, okay, but whoever agrees to be your partner can never challenge Roman Reigns for the universal title again, so good luck finding somebody that'll agree to be your partner tonight. And so far in this promo, everyone involved had done a great job with the story or the material or what they were, the, the hand they were dealt. But then suddenly Brock Lesnar music plays and here comes Brock. And the announcers remind us that, wait a minute now, Brock, because of the SummerSlam match stipulation, can never challenge Roman Reigns again, so he doesn't care. He's got nothing to lose. He can accept this. And Brock comes in and hugs Cody and the big handshakes and hugs, and the heels are just gobsmacked, and they leave speechless and slinking away. And you know what I wrote at that point, Brian? I said, you know what? I love this. Here's star power. And also Brock, the enforcer to counteract Solo for the babyface side, because there he's been such a babyface. Paul Lee's the middleman again. He's got the relationship with everybody. And now you've set up your war games. Roman Reigns and the Usos and Solo and Cody and Owens and Sammy and Brock. This might be good. <laughs> what did you think at that point? I don't know. I was trying to give them the benefit of the doubt that maybe they have a good idea. Maybe they didn't do a big Cody coronation at WrestleMania and maybe the bloodline is continuing and there's going to be something really good tonight to capture the attention this is all getting. And... Brock got a monster babyface reaction from the crowd. At yeah. least it sounded like that. When they hit that music, people went crazy. Okay, this is interesting now. Let's see what's going to happen. We know that Sammy and Kevin and the Usos are all out there somewhere. How are we going to get from here to the end of the show? I was willing to give it a chance. I still think that, as of now, it looks like they dropped the ball with Cody at WrestleMania. They should have. It looks like they got into their own heads and booked it a way that doesn't seem everyone's really into right now. 
The, well, it, the never-ending quest has to end sooner or later, and if it ends past its expiration date, people are not as happy to see it end. And I'll say this, and then we'll move on well, from the... Go ahead. And Vince is back. And if there's anyone who has shown that between a WrestleMania and a SummerSlam, they could change Shit. their mind, and at the very last second decide, hey, we're going to do something else, it's him. Well, it was between SummerSlam and WrestleMania with Luger, so he had more time, but I get your point. And he had already made that decision a long time before WrestleMania, I think. Um, but I, w I will say this about the not putting the thing, because there's a lot of the WWE fans and or people who have friends in the WWE, they're going, well, the stories and blah, blah, blah. I'm just saying, have you ever been in a situation where you was having some nookie and you were like, well, this is about to be over, but it's so good, I don't want it to end. So you'll delay that moment of ending. And when you go to try to collect it later on, it just wasn't as good as it would have been if you'd have just gone ahead with it. You know what I mean, Brian? Keep going. This is all you. I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to keep us on YouTube. Um, yeah. Sooner or later, it's, instead of, Bam, Peter North, you're going to get, boom, Dick Trickle. But anyway, so that's where we were as the main event is Brock and Cody against Roman and Solo and more on that later. And you go, and with, this, you, you go with Peter North, not one of the all-time classics like Harry Reams or uh, John Holmes. Well, I was going for the visual. Because, you know... Peter North would have been a good fireman. He wouldn't even have needed the fucking hose truck. He had his own with him. Anyway, so we're 38 minutes into the program. You sure And he, here, comes, here comes match number one, which is almost beating Ezekiel in one minute. Okay. And then, that's page one. And again, here's an opportunity. You're coming out of WrestleMania. This guy had a really physical match with Brock Lesnar. He dominated Brock Lesnar. He lost, but he dominated him. How do you do anything to build upon that with a really hot crowd there? Not this. That's the answer. Not this. <laughs> well, because it, it was kind of a foregone conclusion because it's what they do every week. And it worked with Andre when Andre was only on TV once every six months in the WWWF or whatever the case. Anyway, in the back, Paul E tells the Usos to go to the plane and eat some seafood. What is that? Do they have like a goddamn contract with Jimmy's famous seafood in Baltimore or something that they, they cater their plan? That's the only thing they ever get on the plane. Can't they just have a goddamn every once in a while, a bucket of chicken or a hot dog or something? Anyway, so the question remains now that he has banished them. Paul says, Roman says, go to the plane, eat the seafood. We'll take care of our business. We still don't know if they're on the outs. Paul made a little backhanded remark about them losing at WrestleMania. So are they on the outs with the tribal chief? That uh, remains to be seen. Will they be back by the end of the show? I mean, there was still some optimism that there'll be some big thing to make anything that happened at WrestleMania with the bloodline make some sense tonight. 
Well, yes, because even though they're told to leave, as we've seen many times, they'll come back or Solo will come back or everybody comes back. So we still don't yeah. know what's Like every good wrestler, they go in the back, they put on a hoodie and they come through the crowd. Yeah. That's what you do. And and see, again, the thing that I'm talking about with the finish at WrestleMania night two with Cody and Roman is disgusting heat is different than heat on a heel when the guy got kicked out of ringside but he comes back under a hoodie and does it anyway. That's when, that's the, when people get disgusted at the promotion for allowing it to happen rather than the heel for doing it. That type of, there's so much run in and interference. All the false finishes were gorgeous. If it hadn't been a fuck at the end anyway. So then they interviewed bugs bunny at ringside on raw and he's going to be the host of backlash in Puerto Rico. So, now every pay-per-view has a special host. Hey, at least, Possibly, he, at least uh, he can get a bunch of publicity. I mean, they made the Miz the host because they had nothing to do with him. And they wanted to do some goofy spots. I'd like to have nothing to do with the Miz. Um, you hate him. Why do you hate him so just, much? God damn it. Yeah. And every now and then you go, you know, he was pretty good in this segment. And then the next week it's right back to, he looks like a frog. <laughs> I just, oh my God. Anyway, so Rey Mysterio does an in-ring promo next on this episode of Raw. And Austin Theory interrupted it and came down. He bragged about WrestleMania and him winning, and he insulted the fans. And did you notice that he seemed more comfortable here? That he didn't let people throw him off? That he took some turns and made some asides and some little you know, comments to him and then got back to the point? and carried himself a little more puffed up. Maybe that gave him some confidence over the weekend. I think the same thing, but I still think the problem is he's not speaking naturally, but who could if they're telling you what to say? Right. But it looked like he was doing it a little bit. He wasn't self-conscious about what he was doing. And then he cuts this promo and says, you know, He's going to, I can't remember what he said. He's collecting belts or victories or wins over legends or whatever. And then, well, then Rey Mysterio bows up and says, well, you're going to collect your teeth. And then suddenly a referee slid in and they he called for the bell. Did I miss where one of them actually said, I want to fucking fight you right here? And the other one said, OK, or did they just kind of insinuate that everybody knew it was going to happen? At this point, it seems that anyone from a celebrity to a wrestler could just point to someone and say, make just, that match. Yes. And they just. <laughs> the referee just hey, go boom ring the bell so but I, I didn't even see the agreement here but they started they knew they had read the format they knew what was supposed to happen the wrestlers i'm talking about so they went 30 seconds and theory hit the dreaded shoulder tackle coming off the ropes and they just went to the break this time not only with no warning or no raw rolls on but the fucking the British announcer that sounds like fucking Cadbury was still speaking and they just went to the break. Oh, they threw me off later in the show. At one point, Corey Graves, I don't even remember who he was talking about. He said, I'm just going to name Wrestler X. Wrestler X rolls on. Yeah. And, then it, and they didn't go to commercial. I was like, what the hell was up? And they went to silence. It's like, was there supposed to be a commercial there or now can it just roll on and continue? Interesting. But. It was Bachman Turner Overdrive. They're going to be the hosts of SummerSlam. Roll on down the highway. So they come back from the break. You ain't seen nothing yet. That's my new motto. You ain't seen nothing yet. 
endeavor. <clears throat> you ain't seen no mustache yet. 8.58 p.m. they come back, and they are less than two minutes of wrestling that's actually been on the air in the first hour of this program, and they come back on Austin Theory has a chin lock on Rey Mysterio. And uh, you don't have to do that. And I'd, when, when you come back on just a motionless hold, especially after going to break on a fucking shoulder tackle, and the people are sitting there watching it in the build. There's no energy. There's no excitement. And and it's not. It doesn't have to be that way. I've produced many programs, both live or live to tape, and then on tape that were going to be post produced. It's very simple. If you go to break live, you you the referees have IFBs in their ear. You can tell them we're in break, and then the guys can do whatever they want in the break, save the good stuff for when they're on television, but keep the people in the live building occupied, and then. Since I would usually be producing, but I've also agented, but you can have two people do the same thing. The agent makes sure to tell them to be in motion when they come back from break, and the producer in the truck is going to send them signal through the referee. You got 10 seconds. So they know within 10 seconds they got to get into a fucking spot, hopefully a hope spot where the baby face is fighting from underneath and gets shut down, but something where there's movement going on and action. And then the people are up. So when you come back from commercial, there's action in the ring. The people are up and there's something going on. And the announcers have something to talk about. And on tape, it's even easier. We'd post-produce ring of honor. And when we went to break, I would tell the referee, okay, tell Brian and Jim to grab a hold, get their breath when they're ready Give me a pat on your knee, and I'll give you a count. And and that way they would have time to grab their breath, make sure they were ready for their next spot. Referee would pat his knee. I'd say, okay, tell him to get in motion. And if there's a chin, if Brian's got a chin lock on Jim, and Jim's fighting up and gives him an elbow in the gut and another elbow in the gut, then I tell the fucking director, we're up because now. You had the chin lock, right? That means I'm running and hitting the ropes when we come up from, from break. And then the announcer can say, Cornette hits the ropes, ducks the clothesline, comes off the far side, last nails him with the elbow and shuts him down. We're back on Monday Night Raw for the Southern Heavyweight title. It's Brian Last versus Jim Cornette. And during the break, and I'm Cornette's winning. been the victim of, you know, yeah, whatever, yes. <clears throat> so the announcer does the reset of everything you need to know. But when he comes, when you come back for the first 10 or 15 seconds, he's actually calling the action. So you get verbally and visually excited and you hear the people and then he does a quick reset and then you're back in the story. It's not that fucking hard. Even Vince used to do that. Yes, but they don't anymore. So anyway, um, then they actually, I think got to go for about, three or four minutes. Um, there was, there was almost nothing to the match, but then they did a nice finish a nice finishing sequence for about two minutes. A couple of nice big two counts. Ray got to six, one, nine in. And then Dominic comes to the apron where he didn't get, he went for the six, one, nine, but Dominic came up to the apron and he nailed 
Dom off the apron and then went for the 619 and fucking theory had caught him and turned him into his finish one, two, three. So it was kind of a blah match where nothing really happened, but the finish was good, exciting, but we're still, it's like fucking three minutes. And then that's the point. Dominic and priest get in and start getting heat on Ray. And then Dom goes out on the floor and he and bugs bunny argue in Spanish and bugs punches the shit out of him. So Damien Priest hauls Bugs over the fucking rail and they're arguing and <laughs> Bugs pushes Damien and Dominic grabs Bugs from behind and Bugs turns around and knocks fucking Dominic out again. Oh, Jesus Christ, it's the toughest musician in the world. And then Priest lays the bunny out and picks him up and choke slams him through the announce desk. The biggest musical star in the world. Pretty goddamn stiff fucking choke slam through the desk. And the bunny, as you could tell by his selling and his motions, is the furthest thing from a natural worker. I give him all the respect in the world for being gung-ho about taking it. But he was so covered up and so fucking awkward in his selling movements that do you see Damien couldn't even get his hand around his neck for the choke slam. He had to fucking separate his hands to get his hand around his neck. And, but now they've choke slammed a goddamn musician through the announce desk. Kaufman stayed in the hospital for three days over two pile drivers in the ring. So shouldn't this guy be on NBC nightly news in an iron lung tonight? Until they said it here, I forgot he was Damian Priest's partner at WrestleMania once. I forgot that was Damian Priest that teamed up with him. I forgot yes, all about that. Yes, that's when Damian was a smiley babyface. He's been good. You know what? For as good as Dominic has been in this role of kind of like a wrestling Jimmy Hart in Memphis. <laughs> Just a complete chicken shit, but then he wrestles and he still gets his ass kicked. He's been great in this role, but Damian Priest, because he has size, that voice... And he, he could do good stuff in the ring. Them together is great. I like this. Yeah, and, and there's your team. And as Mommy transitions out of the picture, and I don't, Finn, I don't know, maybe somebody else can get custody of Finn in a divorce case. I want to bring but you it, back as the stapler. Because they got <laughs> staples in your head. We've never had a stapler. Oh, but he had a stapler stuck in his ass when he was on the desk in the office with that paralegal. But anyway, ah. so we're an hour and 15 minutes in. The biggest bump on the program has been by a musician. So then they bring Owens and Sammy out to the ring for a promo. And here we go. Another live in-ring promo by the winners. Two shiny, happy people. They were overwhelmed with emotion. Sammy had the great line from last year's WrestleMania and Johnny Knoxville and the people booed to the main event of this year's WrestleMania and the tag team championship. And they cheered because how his fortunes reversed in one year from a goddamn mousetrap to the tag team belts. But anyway, so Owens then says, naturally, of course, <laughs> this would be the first thing that Kevin Owens from Montreal, a French-Canadian, would say, well, I hear they like to celebrate by fighting out here in Los Angeles, so we want to fight. 
We'd like a good fight. Anybody in the locker room who wants some, come out here and give us a good fight to celebrate. How does it make sense we just won the tag team title last night, now we're here to celebrate in front of all our fans, and we want to celebrate by fighting anyone, whoever. I, they can't just announce matches. They can't book them ahead of time. Everybody gets their pick. Forget about that. This is how you come off their big WrestleMania victory. Yeah. This is the opportunity in front of a hot crowd to do something to get to the next place. And instead, it's just like, all right, we're here, and we're back to doing this Vince stuff again. And then the Street Profits music plays, and they come out. Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn are probably the most popular tag team that the WWE has had in quite some time, one would think, based on all of this reaction and how they just wanted either one or both of them to beat Roman Reigns for the title, the fans did. Yeah, you say most popular tag team, maybe the two most popular guys in the company with Cody coming down a little notch. Well, with Co with Cody in the graveyard, um, and they bring out a babyface tag team, to, and and here they can they're hundreds of red plastic cups, and they start singing their promo, and that was enough for me. And the bell rang for the match at nine thirty p.m. An hour and a half, we'd had six minutes of wrestling, and we get a cold babyface tag match. And they actually got eight minutes, four minutes before the break and four minutes afterwards. So a match we didn't want to see, got plenty of time. And imagine this, Owens and Zayn win. And, no and then nothing happens. And nothing happens. This is how we came off WrestleMania. Just nothing but questions. What is going to happen next? Everything's been so captivating up to this point. What will happen next? Nothing. Nothing happened. This show sucked. And then Seth Rollins did a promo oh. in the back. And then this, this guy. <laughs> this guy, this. I'm so this, sick of him. I'm this so scoundrel, this reprobate. I'm so sick of Franklin. This you don't even charlatan. Oh. He did a promo with promo girl in the back. And then they went to a break. And when they come back, he enters and he's out in the ring and he leads the fans singing his woo or woo 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 or whatever the fuck it is. And then he left without saying or doing anything and walked to the back. That had and to be I think I think people will see this one day for the major moment in wrestling history that it is. <laughs> As we've seen. The correct thing to do is embrace anything that gets a reaction, even if it has nothing to do with what wrestling really should be. And why have matches when we could just have these guys come out and conduct <laughs> the fans in singing? I think that's the future. <laughs> so then we're in the back with poor Bobby Lashley. Get out of the way for poor Bobby Lashley. Um... He's talking in a uh, confrontational way with Bronson Reed. They exchanged a couple of snide remarks. And Bronson Reed walked off, and Muhammad Ali walked in and made some smart-ass comments to Lashley. And since he's quite a bit smaller than Bronson Reed, apparently that's why Lashley just snatched him and threw him through the entranceway into the arena, rolled him into the ring. The referee goddamn ran in and rang the bell. And Bobby Lashley put the hurt lock on him in one minute. And there goes Muhammad Ali. 
So again, now they can just grab people in the back and and throw them into the ring, and it's okay. Maybe it's like twenty four seven rules. Remember they had the twenty four seven title, even though that's gone away. There are still always referees on standby. <laughs> just you know, indicate that you want a match, and that's all it takes. They slide right in. So then we were in the back in the bloodline locker room, and I'm thinking, okay, here we're gonna get something, anything. Anything. And Roman said, are my cousins gone? Paul, yes, yes. Asked Paul, did you know Brock Lesnar was going to be here? And Paul kind of gave a weaselly non-answer. Well, But he said, this is, usually, this is the day after WrestleMania. He usually goes home for six to nine months and hangs everybody up. But that's what you rescued me from, oh, my tribal chief. And then, basically, Paul weasels around about not foreseeing this particular loophole when he advised Roman to do this tag team thing that there was one guy that didn't have anything to lose. I love the way Roman said, doesn't have anything to lose. Yeah, great. So Roman tells Solo, get ready to show Cody Rhodes who's ready. All righty. So we're going to get a big main event tonight, even if nothing else. Maybe they'll give him the last hour, I'm thinking. And then Bianca Belair came out to do an in-ring promo. And there was more action on an average episode of the Dick Cavett show than there was on this program. I started skipping this, but then Rhea Ripley showed up. So I started watching it. And did you notice that Bianca and Rhea are the same height, Brian? Well, Bianca seemed a little bit taller. Yes, because Rhea Ripley was wearing sneakers and Bianca Belair had fucking platform boots that Gene Simmons would have got a nosebleed on top of. They had to be eight inches. Did you see those fucking heels? I actually didn't notice. I usually don't look at the uh, footwear. Yes, no, but because I said there's no way Bianca Belair is as tall as Rhea Ripley and then I got a wide shot and freeze framed it. I swear to God, sneakers on Rhea Ripley platform boots on Bianca Belair. So maybe they're the same height because she was taller than Rhea with the platforms. No, she was like one inch taller than Rhea with the eight inch platform boots on. So do some, <laughs> do some subtracting and some additifying on there and take the, you, you subtract the, the knot from the double knot. <laughs> you will let anything happen with Rhea where she loses the discussion. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, not a bit. <laughs> So then Rhea Ripley basically promised that she is going to beat Bianca Belair one of these days, just like she beat Charlotte. And Bianca recited her scripted verbiage that she was handed back to Rhea Ripley, and basically they left it with, well, one of these days we're going to see about this. And then they just walked off. <laughs> just Rhea just left. One of these days we'll see about this. I've been telling you, I think that's the future is these two working together. And between now and the future, they should do something and have them unify the titles because we only need one women's champion in WWE. And then you don't need as much going on. You don't need two separate women's rosters in WWE. Well, between now and the future, that's a fucking tight window of opportunity there. Between now and the future, it's like one day we'll see. And then they just walk off. I th They need to hurry up. With Rhea, because she will be uh, a movie star in two to three years. Now, thanks to oh. our friend Ari Emanuel and the rest of the fine folks over at Endeavor. What kind of movies do you think she's going to be getting? 
action adventure. She's going to make goddamn Schwarzenegger and Stallone look bad. She's going to fucking, she's going to be out there with rocket launchers and cannons and machine guns and all kinds of stuff. Blowing the whole world up. All right. I can't wait to see the uh, script for this. Yeah, I'm, I'm almost finished writing it. Anyway, so then Raquel and Liv wrestled Kai and Sky. Well, I, I believe they did. They, they announced the match, and they, they locked up and made contact. Within a minute, they went to the break, and they came back from the break, and within a minute, the baby faces won. So I think they wrestled somewhere in there. And then Miz was in the ring for a promo. I'm like, for fuck's sake. Fuck. And I, was, I can't do this. And I fast-forwarded through everything he said, because why would I listen to it? And then suddenly, what do I see? He's back to torment our dreams, our nightmares even. Matt fucking Riddle. Out he comes. This was the point where I was so pissed off at this show. Uh-huh. I was ready to give up on it completely. And giraffes flew out of his ass when he jumped into the... I'm not kidding. They were giraffes. And he beat up the Miz, which is now the thing I guess everybody does. Just beat up the Miz. Why don't they give me my opportunity? And at that point, I'm thinking, my God, we're closing in on 20 minutes left on the program. They've gone to another commercial break. When is this main event coming up? So then they... Vince is back. Now every reprobate can return to the roster. (laughs) Matt Riddle returns. (laughs) Roman Reigns and Solo made their entrance and they went to a break and then Cody made his entrance and then Brock's music plays and I look it is 10 50 p.m the main the the one of the guys in the main event is still entering the ring we've had 16 minutes of wrestling on screen in two hours and 50 minutes of of program and they're almost off the... And then they started the in-ring introductions. <laughs> oh, my God damn it. I think this has to be a whirlwind of activity for them to do anything at this point. And right after Cody was the last one to be introduced, folks, if you haven't seen it, we'll now reveal that as soon as he acknowledges the cheers of the crowd and turns around, Brock Lesnar, his partner, picks him up and gives him an F5 flat on his face in the middle of the ring. And it wasn't... Then suddenly, Paul E. and Roman and Solo didn't all start jumping up and down and celebrating like, oh, we fooled him all along, or this was a plot. They looked like they were fucking bum-fuzzled. Butch Reed. Yeah, Butch Reed. Like, I don't want to get involved in this. But, so they just get out and leave. And then Brock gives Cody another F5. And then stomps him a couple times. And then gives him a German suplex. And then picks him up like a fucking American tourister weekend bag. And just tosses him out to the floor. And bear in mind, this is not a savage attack where he's in a feeding frenzy like a shark smelling blood in the water all over this fucking guy. He's wandering from doing one thing to another. And Cody's selling everything. He sells great, right? And facially. But he then Brock will <laughs> grab him and run him into the rail. 
Then he picks him up and suplexes him over the rail. Then he walks over, gets a chair, picks a chair up and hits him one time across the back fucking hard enough that goddamn, I'd be like, does Cody owe him trans? And then he picks up the stairs and hits him with the stairs and the referees are just running around like it's King Kong. That, you know, and I know you got to put Brock over, but there's like three referees out there. There's no security that runs out or in these press conferences or these contract signings. There's no, no friends coming. Cody, do you have no friends? Are there no workhouses? Um, and Brock just, then he runs Adam Pierce off. Oh, and then he gives him a fucking F5 through the desk. And then he throws Cody back in the ring and gives him an F5 on the stairs. And then he walks off and he's out of the ring. Then he gets a chair and comes back and hammers him a couple more times and then chokes him with the chair. And then says something to him that the entire sentence gets bleeped. It must have been fuck, fuck, fuckity, McFuck, fuck. And then Brock leaves again and the paramedics and the agents come in checking on Cody. And then... Right as Brock comes back out the entranceway toward the ring, carrying a chair again, my DVR froze. Did he get back in the ring and kick the shit out of him some more? I don't even remember. It went on forever. It was like Teddy Hart going off the top of the cage. Yes, it just uh, over and over. It was like it was happening to me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it was really like it was happening to me. I was really optimistic after Saturday. After Sunday, I was willing to give them the benefit of the doubt and see where they're going. I think Roman with no belt, the Usos with no belt, belts, I should say. So many wacky things you could do from there. Cody with the belt, you got natural challengers. And now I'm kind of sick already of WWE again. It's like it went right back to what it once was in one night. They did nothing with Owens and Zayn. Nothing of any note. They did very little with anyone off WrestleMania to capture any of the excitement off WrestleMania. And then with Cody, if you're a big Cody fan, you had the worst weekend of your life. LA LA Knight almost won a battle royal and was never seen again in LA. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's puzzling, but but the the Cody stuff specifically is just. What, what about, what, what about the idea of at least giving the people a fucking match and letting Cody start out and wrestle some and shine some against against uh, Roman and or Solo and then get in trouble and then sell and then be going for that tag and then tag Brock in and then Brock turns around and... Yeah, if only it, someone named Rhodes had ever thought to do that before. <laughs> but after they did everything to convince people that Cody was going to win this title and people wanted it worse than sick people want penicillin. Then not only doesn't he win it, but then the next night they tell millions of people we're going to have this big tag match that you would want to see. And regardless of what kind of angle they're going to do afterwards, they don't even give the people any kind of match after sitting through three hours of a show where they didn't give the people any other kind of fucking match. And again, Cody is the last thing we see of Cody is he's on his face with fucking boogers stuck in his fucking ears. 
Let me ask you a few questions because we've actually received a ton of questions from people about everything that happened just overnight. One of the themes is this Brock Cody angle on Raw. Can you see any merit? Do you think the argument would be instead of Cody winning the belt now, he would be stronger if he has to go through Brock as a challenge to get to Roman again? Was that is there any way that actually makes him stronger in your eyes? Well, yeah, it anybody that beats Brock Lesnar comes out or that would theoretically, hypothetically, would come out stronger. But again, is it the timing of all this? And okay, Brock can't challenge Roman anymore due to the stipulations from last SummerSlam. So if you wanted to do something between Cody and Brock, then again, why not have a little bit of this match and let Brock turn on him? Or maybe even to give him something, Cody and Brock win. And because and now they're trying to tell the story, maybe that the bloodline wasn't in on this. What's Brock's motivation? That's the question the announcers kept asking. So let them win the tag match by beating Solo. And then maybe maybe you might be able to get a few weeks out of the fact that now Brock starts to get jealous because Cody is able to get a rematch if he can pin down Reigns and Heyman, whereas Brock is obligated not to have one and jealousy could form. Or if Cody had won the title Sunday night, they could have still done something here to put Brock on Cody's side against the bloodline to do a, put a dagger in Cody's back so that they could do a program and and Cody could defend the title against Brock. I, I don't know. I'm just having a hard time seeing that they got this guy, this hot, this story, the comeback from the surgery, the videos, the whole idea of redemption, winning it for my father, got people all ready for it. And then not only don't give them the payoff, but the next night have this guy destroyed by somebody that basically just suckered him into this. Because now he, it wasn't like Brock went on a campaign to convince him that he had changed his ways and that, you know, he wanted to team with him or whatever. It just, hey, I'll be your partner. Oh, okay, I'll trust you. It's nice. He got left laying two two nights in a row, and he looks kind of like a fucking sap. I'm not sure that was... This is all going to come together for Cody's benefit, but that's just me. What do you think of the idea that people wanted... An argument for what they did, that people wanted the bloodline to lose more than Cody to actually win? I, I didn't see that. I saw the people still screaming and yelling for Cody like he was going to be the savior to do this thing they wanted done. And I think also that the people had more belief in him because they, I mean, they're all smart fans. All the WWE fans are smart fans down deep. They know that they're not going to put the belt on Sammy because he's skinny. And they know they're not going to put the belt on Owens because he's fat. But Cody looks just right. So they figure this is the guy that's going to do it, and we want it done. We like him. He's getting over. Boy, what a fucking match it was. 
boy, what matches he's had. So, like I said earlier in this marathon program, if not Cody, who? Who are you going to make off this? Who's in the stratosphere to be made off of this that would be any more popular than they had, or even as popular as they had Cody Rhodes? And it's going to take time. You know, Cody, it was from Royal Rumble to here, but really from when he got back to WWE, they started telling the story. But Royal Rumble to here. So now it's, you're looking at more than likely at a minimum SummerSlam, if not past that, for wherever they're going to go with Roman Reigns as champion. That's the thing. Between now and SummerSlam, can Cody remain as hot as he is? Can he possibly get hotter? Is that even possible? And if not Cody, who? 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 Braun Breaker? Braun Breaker, probably not ready for that spot yet. Especially after this weekend. I was about to say, and possibly never shall be these days, unless he changes his name to Finkelstein or something. You know, one thing we haven't talked about, how do you think Vince coming back is going to affect free agents or people whose contracts are up? Well, he doesn't like that. Um, you know, here he... How should, AEW, wants- how should AEW take this sale to Endeavor or merger with UFC under the Endeavor? There's so many different ways to phrase it, but you know yeah. what I mean. Good Lord. Um, the, the new company will have a chance for guys to make an incredible amount of money in all varieties of things. If it, Hopefully it might get more talented, real athletes, real combat sport athletes to be interested in the wrestling business again, like they once were, but also with the, the Hollywood connection and the agenting and the whole nine yards, anybody under that umbrella that has talent that they want to take care of and exploit can make a fucking fortune. However, (laughs) it's, I think the bar is going to be set higher in terms of you know, the AEW guys, they may have thought, well, you know, it's more stable up there. If I go there with Triple H in charge, maybe I won't be, you know, given stupid gimmicks or whatever. With Vince back and the fact that, you know, a lot of the AEW guys think they're ready for prime time and they're not. I don't know if this is... is is great for them for any, any escape route from AEW. And obviously this whole thing now is going to dwarf whatever Tony Khan's fucking doing. And can you imagine that the WWE as an entity will ever have trouble getting on television ever again? More than likely not. I mean, how much they're going to get for every deal is a question going forward. Well, what television is is a question. How much is the question? But it's not like, remember 10 years ago, a lot of people in the company were saying one of the things Vince liked about the network was if anything ever happens and we get kicked off USA or whatever the case, you know, we've got our own distribution. They ain't going to get kicked off television now. They're going to be on some major cable network network some major platform until the end of time as a result of this whereas tony khan a few more hierarchy changes in 
Warner Brothers Discovery or whatever, and they might decide to do the same thing they did 20 years ago and just cancel the whole fucking thing. You know, that's one of the things we talked about. I don't even remember which day. We've recorded so much over the last few days. But the idea that here's WWE versus AEW. And WWE before all this, and before all the scandal and shit, or even with that, has this infrastructure. They have a team, they have a system, they have management. Not everyone is great there, but there's a hierarchy. Everything makes sense. In AEW, it's still just Tony and his wacky team. And now look at WWE. Now they have Endeavor. That's why I said we need a capable, competent number two, not just a fan taking their version of indie wrestling national. Back to Cody Rhodes, and more specifically Cody Rhodes' fans, a lot of people travel from all over the world, including his family, to be there to see this big moment that everyone thought would happen that, unless they prove us wrong, should have happened, and it didn't, and then they continued the beating the next night. Maybe you go home and you feel beat down yourself, and you want to sue the bookers. Well, you know, that's an interesting concept. Do you sue for bait and switch? Do you sue for mental anguish and distress? Do you sue for the general feeling that you've been beaten with a sack of wet hammers being deflated over thinking you had something in your hands and then suddenly it was snatched away from you? Well, I know who you can call. Call Steven the rest yes folks and if you've had something snatched away from you whether it be your dignity your health your freedom even your life call stephen p new at newlawoffice.com 888-692-8084 i guess if you've had your life snatched away from you somebody else is gonna have to make that call for you in that case whoever is the nearest of kin or has power of attorney but ladies and gentlemen we've talked about the many Many things that Stephen P. New is involved in across the country and helping the little guy, the downtrodden, the peon among you out there. And if you feel like you've been getting peed on, then Stephen P. New is the man to do some peeing back because he will leave a trail of golden tears all across the faces of the people who have wrongfully terminated you, wrongfully confined you, caused damage to your property or to your body. And he will do it with a smile on his face and get you paid. He's been protecting the inmates there at the dangerously overcrowded and understaffed jails in West Virginia. The opioid-addicted baby case is entering now at an even bigger stage where more people are going to get the benefits of these evil corporations that are going to be brought to heel and taken a task by NewLawOffice.com. And, of course, then there's the energy company in Louisiana and all the other various cases, and the slander, the slander and defamation of a fine Marshall University executive over there by the New York Times, all these things and more are being handled, and you can be handled too by Stephen P. New. And when you get handled by Stephen P. New, boy, you'll know that you've had a hand in injustice. What?
Yes, Explain that's right. That You'll stick your hand right in justice. A whole pool of it. The spot is an injustice. Well, it's not injustice, West Virginia. <laughs> no, it's not. Stephen P. New, ladies and gentlemen. That's the governor's man. name over there in West Virginia. Stephen P. New? No. Well, oh. it's going to be. Ah. Governor Justice. You would think he would have some justice in his state without Stephen P. New having to bring everybody in and straighten them out. I've, I think the, the governor of West Virginia before our lifetimes are over with is going to be Stephen P. New. All right. Well, we'll see how things work out between now and the future when it comes to that. <laughs> Jim, to take it down now that I'm smiling and laughing here, and I'm so sorry this always happens with this show. Oh, God. I want to ask you about something that has been something a lot of listeners have sent in questions about over the last day, the news that broke that Bob Miller, better known as obviously Butch Miller, Bushwhacker Butch, Sheepherder Butch, has passed away. Yeah, and, and it was it was really sad because I guess this was the first time that he had been to the United States since, what, 2015, I think somebody said, and he was coming over for, or did come over for, you know, the Wrestling Fan Fest, you know, uh, events over WrestleMania weekend and was going to be, you know, back together with Luke. And I still don't know what, what the cause of it was, but he had some health emergency I guess pretty much right after he got to California and was hospitalized. And then we, we just heard he passed away. And I, what a nice guy. And I mean, both of them, Luke and Butch, both just great guys and nice guys and fun to have in the locker room and, you know, old pros in the best sense of the word. And the first sheep herders that I got to know in person were Luke Williams and Jonathan Boyd, because that's a period of time. I can't remember why they, why Jonathan stepped into the team. Butch may have been injured or, or whatever the case. But for a couple of years there, Jonathan, who was the grumpy one, uh, Jonathan Boyd was not a happy-go-lucky, smiling guy. And so Luke stood out even more as being the, you know, the cool one, right of the bunch. But but Luke and Butch had been the primary team. They'd started out together, I guess, in the 60s. And they were the, the Kiwis first, right? That The first gimmick they had that we would know in the United States. Yeah, I think so. Because, um, the of course, Kiwi is, you know, an Australianer, New Zealander type of thing. In Stampede, they were the Kiwis. Yes. And, you know, they wrestled through the mid-70s as the Kiwis and then became... I guess uh, later part of the decade, the New Zealand sheep herders for a while. And, and I mean, at the time when they were young, remember Luke Williams with that fucking face, he was sweet William. Remember that when he was younger? And I think Butch also, did he not wrestle as, as crazy Nick at one point, crazy Nick Carter? Maybe he had that? a few names. It's always weird when you see pictures of them with those faces, but long hair. Yes. And they had huge um, fucking flowing long hair. And Jonathan Boyd did too. When Jonathan Boyd was a member of the Royal Kangaroos with Norman Frederick Charles III, they had long hair also. And then everybody ended up pretty much going bald. But anyway, um, but now Luke and Butch, you know, just great guys. They had the tremendous run there with the Fantastics in Mid-South where they had all those crazy barbed wire matches and everything. And they were like, 
at that point, really a hardcore team before there was any ECW or hardcore anything. And then that's why it was such a, you know, a rib amongst the boys that these bloodthirsty, savage, wild, crazy maniacs go to work for Vince and become the beloved, you know, bushwhackers licking kids' faces. It was just, it was hilarious. But, you know, they made more money with that gimmick than they did doing anything else. And they were already fucking their 40s at that point. So, you know, I just, I feel bad that, uh, I feel bad it happened at all, but especially when, you know, he had just come back after all this time and was going to get to do some, you know, some of the fan fest appearances and spend some time with Luke. So I, I, I hate to hear about that. They were, they were great guys. Even if the Bushwhackers were not necessarily the favorite team of the hardcores at the time, but that was kind of like their pension, their retirement, because they had been a fantastic team, you know, before that and done all that crazy shit. So it was good. They got a spot where they could be remembered and didn't have to cut their heads off all the time. Well, Jim, let's move on from the sad news of the passing of Bushwhacker Butch to talk about someone else who everyone's been asking about. Let's hear some audio of Vince McMahon on CNBC with Ari Emanuel. Interviewed by Scott Wapner, the son of Judge Wapner, from the People's Court. And have you seen the footage of this, or how much? I know you've seen the yeah, image. I've, I haven't seen the whole thing yet, but I've seen some clips. And yes, again, the the appearance of. Uh, well, I tweeted since the last time since we started this program. I've tweeted when we took our break. He looks like late stage Wayne Newton. Put that visual in your head for a second. Is he going to be seating people at a casino pretty soon in Vegas? Do you think he does that on his own or someone talks him into it? I don't know what he's thinking, but, and somebody just sent, uh, sent me an email that had a picture of him from a year ago where he had gray in his hair and he had, uh, you could barely kind of see his eyebrows because they were gray, but he had normal looking eyebrows and Yes, his face was melting, but he's almost 80. And then they transposed it side by side with this, the jet black hair and the, like I said, the Wayne Newton fucking eyebrows and mustache. And I don't know what he's thinking. Well, let's hear some audio. Here is Vince McMahon with Ari Emanuel, the head of Endeavor, on CNBC with Scott Wapner. I mean, Ari, Endeavor was mentioned throughout this entire process, yep. and now you're the last person standing. Why the WWE? He decided not to body slam me. <laughs> but, um, you know, we've brought together in a um, pure play the UFC and the WWE into a new publicly traded company. Um, it's very rare to get iconic brands like the UFC and the WWE uh, together. Um, together, I mean, individually, they're incredible assets. Together with the flywheel of Endeavor, which we've built, I think makes them unicorns. Let me stop before Vince even talks. What do you think about the brand new unicorn that Ari Emanuel is going to be in charge of? Well, shyster flywheel and shyster attorneys at law. Now we know who's handling this transaction. Their flywheel? Um, I mean, you know, he's bragging and he, and, and he's got a right to, because they've now got a multi tens of billions of dollar company, but I, I don't know. I don't know. 
if 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 Vince was to threaten to body slam Ari, I think Ari could fucking probably get out of that. He looks like a robust younger man, but I think the biggest thing was if he if Vince threatens to hold him down and dye his hair, did did Vince get Ju- Rudy Giuliani's leftover hair dye from the press conference? I was going to say Vince looks good. He looks really young. Let's uh, hear some from Vince. <laughs> Let me say it another way. Look, this is the biggest thing Ari Emanuel and Vince McMahon have ever done. Yeah. Combining forces like this is there's nothing like this. There's never been anything like this. People have been talking about this for a long time. There were a- He's talking about his face. Yeah. There's nothing like this. There's never been anything like this. People are going to be talking about this a long time. This being his face. What do you think of Vince there? I mean, obviously he seems over the moon excited about all this. Well, again, we, we talked about it, that he's getting everything that he wants. He's having his cake and he's eating it too. He's getting billions of dollars for his stock. He's one of the main people running in charge of this combined company. He's given himself an employment contract. And if they leave the WWE alone, as people have said, like Endeavor leaves UFC alone, lets them operate, then he's going to be running the fucking thing. So, He's doing the same thing that he was doing pretty much this time last year. Somebody just gave him an extra several billion dollars to do it. What was Ted Turner's job title when they had the Time Warner AOL merger? Oh, good Lord. I can't remember. remember, he thought he was going to be a big muckety-muck, and he lost all of his power. Then he lost all that value to the stock. Well, yeah, but they didn't announce that he was going to be in the initial announcement like the number three guy, did they? Ted Turner? It was Jerry Levin. I mean, he was one of the top guys. It was his company being sold, but I guess the point being that... In the new company, though. It's not like they're going to sit next to Vince and be like, yeah, we signed to this new deal, but he ain't doing anything. We're going to kick him out the door as soon as we can. Well, and if they do, they got to pay him. That's true, and he has the rights to his life story, so that could be a heck of a (laughs) book series. But let's go back. Let's hear a little bit about some of the other suitors for WWE. A lot of other suitors sure they here. were you know but Ari really the synergies everyone was, was very interested in us and, and I appreciate that but the synergies that Ari brings totally different than everyone else so the Saudis were said to be interested sure Liberty yes. said to be interested mm-hmm. and others yes and you had your pick yes and Endeavor and here he is. the place right. well you know the fun thing we've known each other for 23 years he when I was a young agent, said, you know, why don't you represent us? It was an honor then. Throughout the pandemic, we got even closer. We sold the media rights. There's a lot of trust here. Um, but I think we built a flywheel that Vince realized the value and what we did with UFC. He could see what we could do with his assets. Um, and he knew he would get a ton of money if this is the way he did the deal. And he would get everything else he wanted because we would say yes to everything. I know, you know, you do the voice and make fun, but Vince never used to talk like that in the, in the short bursts where, yes or no, something like that, where it looks like, or it sounds like he's trying to expel the stuff with what air he has in his lungs. And if he says more than 10 words in a row, then like I heard interested, he slurred it, interested. And I mean, this is the guy that used to get mad and make the announcers redo it if they said WWE instead of WWE. He was always so controlled in everything he said. 
the way you know he was never natural he never felt comfortable if you ever saw him on like letterman or larry king or anything he was always oh yeah you know sitting up tight and you know i have perfect posture and here i am to tell you about wwe you know that's and very very practiced and very polished and you know that type of stentorian tone and notwithstanding that was one of his favorite words notwithstanding and now he's like yeah we're interested in him i love him it's it's concerning especially when he looks like the fucking guy in the 60s TV commercials that I'm used melting. to go, yes! I'm melting! <laughs> um, he was never a smoker. Notoriously, Vince McMahon hated smoking, didn't want it around, was not a fan of smoking. Is this, you think, just a result of doing that voice and not yeah. just promos, but promo packages when he was an announcer and stuff? No, that, that's exactly what it is. And yelling and barking instructions, and I've had some... Go back and listen to me. I sound like fucking, as Paul Lee said about me one time, Mickey Mouse on amphetamines in, back in the 80s compared to, as you get older, naturally, your voice gets deeper. Anyway, Elton John has had to completely change you know, the the key or the tone or uh, goddamn, what is the the note is what I'm, I'm not a musician, but he's had to change his songs that he does in concert. No, probably the key. Well, key or note or whatever it is that he well, can't hit anymore. Note. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, you know what I'm saying. But, uh, but the point is, um, when you've done that for a long time, and remember they used to joke back at the WrestleMania 3, Aravacra Franklin, the Queen of Soul. You know, that has had to have you know, and he's 80. But yes, you know, I've mentioned Mick Foley damaged his vocal cords doing the squeal. And I used to try to yell when I was sick or, you know, on TV tapings, we did, you know, fucking hours and hours of TV every week. I would power through it. And you, over a period of time, you got scar tissue on various things, but he sounds like he's not really it's not like just he's hoarse, he's fucking not all there. He did take a lot of bumps after the age of 50. There may be something to that. Let's go back. Let's hear a little bit of audio about Ari Emanuel talking about Vince's visionary status. And I, I'll just give him a little credit right here. You know, he saw cable when nobody saw cable. And he built a national brand way back in the day when there were about 15 different promoters out there. He, he built an in-house sales force to sell the product that nobody had. Pay-per-view, took it public. And last but not least, I think, you know, five, six years ago, he went direct to consumer when none of us were thinking about direct to consumer. So us being in business with Vince, and now you're sitting there with a the guy who's seen around the corner better than anybody in our space and him being able to play with our flywheel, just look out. This guy loves to have a flywheel, doesn't he? Yes. Whatever robust is the Nikon flywheel is the Ari Emanuel. The problem is, do you think he really believes all of that? In the, not, not just all time, but currently, or is he just saying these things? Because if they really think, the scary thing is, if someone were to buy WWE or take over WWE, and they think Vince is the secret to the formula. They think, like, there's no way WWE could exist without Vince's magic touch. That's what I'm afraid of. 
Well, in uh, in some cases, the WWE would not exist today if it weren't for Vince's magic touch at some points in history. Right. That is correct. That's not what I'm saying, though. I'm yes, saying currently. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and also, if Vince was seeing around that many corners, he sounds like a peeping Tom, doesn't he? Um, I don't think it's fair to say that, you know, nobody else was seeing cable or pay-per-view when Vince did. Because Crockett tried to get on pay, was already on cable and tried to get on fucking pay-per-view and Vince blocked him. But it's like everybody knew that would be a source of revenue for wrestling because wrestling was still viewed as a sport and primarily for the first, what, at least 10 years of pay-per-view, that's pretty much all that was on pay-per-view was sports of some kind. Uh, But... I mean, you know, I think there's a little bit of both in what you asked. I think he definitely does believe that Vince has the magic touch with this company, but I think also he's got to put the guy over that he's just put together a deal for that he's an integral part of. It's, you know, multi-billions of dollars. He can't, you know, sit there and go, well, you know, Vince has had some success, but we're going to take this thing and, you know, moon rocket it to the stars. He's got to put Vince over some, but they've still got to be realistic that they're dealing with a guy that's almost 80 years old. If did Vince give himself a two year contract instead of a five year contract, because they may have said, well, Vince, we're fixed to buy the thing and you know, all due respect, but you're 70 fucking eight. So how about two years? We, we get to an even number there and then we evaluate. Maybe there was something like that. Which raises the question, why would Vince want to do this now? Why would Vince, in control of the company, want to give up controlling interest? Let's go to this. That said, many doubted we would ever see this day, that you would ever be willing to sell a controlling stake in your company. You are the WWE, and the WWE is you. So why? Uh, it's, It's the right time. It's the right time to do the right thing. And it's the next evolution of WWE. I could probably do what Ari is right now with UFC. It'd take me 10 years, you know. By the time I would grab those 10 years, you'd be 10 years ahead again. <laughs> so it's like, it makes all the sense in the world for all these synergies that we have, you know, to extract all of the value we can out of the marketplace. I can't help. Well, let me stop it there. We'll get to the next section. What do you think? It'd of that? take him 10 years. Well, it'd only be 88. So fuck, he'd have plenty of time to sit back and crow about it. Considering um, the WWE's merchandising machine and the way they try to capitalize on everything, should they market Vince hair dye? <laughs> no, I, th- I think he's it, basically, he just put himself over there saying I could do the same thing, but it would take me a while, but boy, this is going to be much better together. But again, they're putting each other over. Well, here's a very important question. Scott Wapner asks about the scandals. Would this sale be happening without those scandals? But Wonder and I have to ask you, had the scandal not happened, right. would we be sitting here today? Absolutely. Why? Because it makes sense. You take Nothing's ever happened like this before. And again, I'm always looking what's best for our stockholders, what's best for the company. This is the best thing that's happened in a long, long time. All of the WrestleManias combined have been 39, including uh, tomorrow. Um, does it really equal to the magnitude of, of what we will do together? Did that event push you towards this day faster than you thought you'd ever be here? Um, no, it didn't really 
in and of itself, no. But uh, it's great that we can combine all of this news together at the same time. You know, I what a wonderful way not to ask. <laughs> yeah. Why did you pay off that woman who accused you of rape? I, you know, but here's the thing: I don't believe that 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 the scandal, the unpleasantness, as they used to call World War II over across the pond, sped this up. I think the timetable has always been geared toward doing something before they had to renegotiate the TV rights and take a chance on stock value, company value, whatever, dropping if they don't get their, their way or don't get a, a renewal, don't get an increase that they'd been predicted for so long. And a lot of people were saying they wouldn't. With these people involved with them, they might get an increase now because Again, this is heavy-duty Hollywood. Everybody's interacting and intersecting. UFC's on various fucking platforms. Endeavors all over tied into Hollywood, to television, to movies. Maybe this will help them. But I think now that we can look back, you know, when the scandal erupted independently of whatever timetable or plans Vince had to sell the thing, he probably just, okay, we can't take any bad publicity now. I'll listen to my, you know, advisors and and step back. And then either it wasn't as bad as they thought it was going to be, the publicity, or didn't last as long, or Vince just got antsy. Or, Vin, you know, he said... No, they paid everyone off. Vince did what he did with Pat Patterson. Well, just go home, pretend you don't work here anymore, and we'll take care of this, and you can come back, and we resume everything like nothing happened. Well, but now hold on, because that insinuates that Pat Patterson did something wrong. Right, which he didn't, and I didn't mean he to didn't insinuate do. that. So, so you shouldn't say it like that. But, but it they pretended to the public that he, that he yes. was suspended. That's the point. Yes. And, but at the same time, Vince here, thought, you know, once he was at home, thought, I still need to be shepherding this and he probably had all that time at home he wasn't collecting stamps he was talking to these people talking to various people and probably putting a lot of this together and then when he decided that he had enough of his ducks in a row that there was something going to happen that's when he forced himself back in and said here's what we're doing everybody follow this is the way it's going to be that to me is the timeline now that we can look back on See, the sad thing is that if a Just for Men were to contact them and say, we want to use Vince in a campaign, he couldn't effectively do it. Grumble, Just for Men. Everything's a hey, grumble. But Mr. McMahon might be back on television because oh, well, Ari Emanuel said he ain't going to stop him, right? Well, we'll hear a little bit from that in a little bit. But here's Ari trying to save whatever Vince tried to say in the last answer. <laughs> I was talking to him when we didn't go public the first time. He and I started talking about we should be combined, right? I've, I've, been in I've been in business with him actually for 23 years, seeing what he's done, like I was in business with UFC for a long, long time. And so I always thought about this combination, especially with the Endeavor flywheel that we could add on to it and what that could Flywheel. And putting it into a new company as a pure play, um, uh, there's nothing like it out there. And then I also think it shines, he, he gets value, which I don't think is captured Presently in the nope. WWE, we don't get, I don't think we got pure value for the UFC combined. I think the market will understand it. And I do also think for the Endeavor shareholders, they'll have a different perspective on Endeavor and the remaining assets. All right. Does that make you feel better about the deal? Yeah, it's completely clear now. I understand everything. 
Boy, between him and Nick Khan, you've gotten your run of agents and the words they love, haven't you? I'm so dizzy. My, you know, I'm walking recklessly and attempting to fall over them talking circles around me. But again, less Ari, let's hear a little bit more from Vince about this day, this sale, this merger, saying goodbye to being in charge of WWE. Is this a good day for good Vince day. McMahon and it's the WWE? A, it or is it a, is a great a, day. Is it a tough day as well? Life. This, this company's been in your family for 70 years. Mm -hmm. Is it a tough day? No, it's a great day. You know, things have to evolve. We family, business, it all has to evolve for all the right reasons. And this is the right business decision. Thus far, it's the right family decision. What I thought was interesting, Ari, is that Vince is going to be the executive chairman yep. of the new company. Right. That implies that he is going to have a say. Well, I would have said the following. I would have body slammed him if he thought he was going to leave. <laughs> um, because as I said to you before, here's a man who has seen around the corners at every beat over the last 40 years of this business and has a vision for where this business, way before a lot of people see it. Him now being able to utilize what we have built in our flywheel, I'm the <laughs> luckiest guy in the world. Because I got Vince McMahon, a visionary that sees around the corner. I got Dana White and what we've built. That's pretty unstoppable. So you want... What do you think of that? Flywheel. Flywheel. Haven't heard that word like ever, and I've heard it like six times in the last two minutes. Let's not I, go. He's got he's got a fascination. Look at the look uh, look at the flywheel. Look at the pretty flywheel. Don't pay attention to what we're doing over here. Well, Jim, on the topic of Vince staying, yeah, here's here's what I want to hear. Well, did he have to be convinced? Let's go to this. Wanted him to stay. Oh my God, yes. Oh my God. Did he have to convince you to stay? Um, not that much. Would you have been content? I love what I do. I've loved building WWE all my life. It's my passion. And to have an opportunity to have it grow like this from an expeditional standpoint is like, can't be better than that. It's an interesting plot twist because <laughs> not a lot of people saw this coming. In fact, your own CEO, Nick Khan, told our David Faber just back in February, quote, Vince has declared to the board, to me, to other upper management, he is 100% open to a transaction where he's not included in the company moving forward. Sure. You were ready to walk away? Absolutely. I wasn't going to let him. Let, let me stop it right there. <laughs> when he said absolutely, he shook his head no. He shook his head no. Well, let me get your thoughts on some of this here. What do you think of the idea that Vince ever was going to go? Because I always said that was my issue. As long as he had actual control of the company, he was never going to step aside from anything. And we have heard the reports from Raw of him taking over the show. It's his show again. The idea that Vince was ever going to leave as part of the sale, that was the thing I always said, why well, I thought the Saudis were going to get it. Because they'll give it to Vince. They'll let him do whatever he wants. And that's exactly what he got here. I, you know, I'm still... I think if it came down to nut-cutting time, as they say, and Vince had an offer from a company for seven or eight or nine billion dollars or whatever that he wanted for the thing. And they said, but Vince, you're, you're almost 80, you know, we'll give you a nice, obviously package and the stock and all the blah, blah, blah. But you know, I think he would have been open to that, but he would have probably, and obviously did do more talking and more convincing to people who were willing to do the deal and keep him. And he got that. 
I think if it, what I'm saying is, yes, that was always his goal. We've always said he never wanted to quit, never wanted to retire, never wanted to step down, whatever. But if it came the situation where the only way he could sell the company and get those billions of dollars was in, in, in effect, letting it go, I think he would have done that. But he had another option and he took that one. I'm not saying if he had two options, he wouldn't have taken less money and stay in charge. But this way, he didn't have to worry about that. But again, to go the other way, if you are an outsider whose knowledge of wrestling may not be what yours is, let's say, and you think Vince is the secret touch, Vince's formula is what always works, would you want to buy WWE if you didn't get Vince as part of the deal? I don't... For that much money... Wouldn't you be doing due diligence to, you know, basically hear all sides of it? And there would be a lot of people saying, oh, God, you know, the guys are much happier that Vince is not in charge of creative and all oh, this and that and the other thing. And it doesn't sound like any of those people ever bother to dig deeply into the inner workings of wrestling. And I actually that fucking uh, moron that bought the USWA from Jerry Lawler and Larry Burton after the, Jerry Jarrett sold his piece. They came in the court case. They came and finally contacted Jerry Jarrett and, you know, we're trying to get him to provide him some information or whatever. And he said, let me ask you this. He said, you paid a million dollars or whatever it was for this fucking company. And you just now have heard my name and don't know anything about the company before you purchased it or who was in charge of it or who led it to success or whatever the fuck, what kind of diligence at all did you do, much less the do part? He said, I have no sympathy for you. You're an idiot. So if you spend a lot of money for something and don't bother to dig real deep into all sides of the issue, then... How smart are you? Well, let's go to the value of WWE. Vision about where the business is and where it's going. The deal values UFC, you mentioned some numbers, $12 billion and WWE at $9.3 billion. That's a big number. Well, here's what WWE's I, market cap is six and a half. Here's what I would say to you. Exactly why we did this, because I think we weren't getting the pure value. I don't think the WWE was no, getting we the pure value. Combined, it's... Uh, it's rarefied air, the two of us. And I think the analysts will be able to do it. It's good for the shareholders of WWE and for the shareholders of, of Endeavor. And then when you look back, I don't believe that the Endeavor shareholders were getting pure play for the rest of the asset that we had. And I think for the first time, you now have the ability to do that in both situations. You don't think the WWE investors are getting their value at a $6.1 billion <laughs> market cap? Remember when we uh, dissected their finances, the, a lot of that comes from the rights fees, which are, again, due for renewal fairly soon. So it, I don't know. Well, we heard that number before, $9 billion. Let's go to this. And that's a win-win, which is what Vince and I have always talked about. When I throw those kind of numbers out to you, I mean, the, the word on the street was that you wanted $9 billion. Hmm. This values the WWE at 9.3. Right. So despite everything that's happened... I'm a visionary. Well, you hit the... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Deservedly so. But here's what I would also say to you. We paid a fair price. 
um, and I'll tell you why. Uh, we paid a little bit for control premium. Um, with our cost cuts, their new deals coming up, which is right now, um, and um, our- Let me stop it right there. Our cost cuts. You know, that's not- Yeah, he, he's, not he's over my head here. Yeah, well, that's not defined in any way. Does that mean cost cuts from redundancies, like job layoffs from this, or is that something else? That's a good question. Cost savings. Let's see if he answers we can, it. We can extract from the business right now and grow the business with all of our levers, whether it be international sales, domestic, sponsorship, gambling, all the things that we do. Um, I think it's right. I would also say to you is when I bought IMG, everybody said I overpaid. It was actually one of the cheapest deals in sports. For sure, when I bought the UFC, everybody was like at 4.2 billion. They were like crazy. We've tripled uh, the EBITDA in that period of time. And now with this, this is gonna be UFC 2.0 um, as it relates to all the things in the flywheel that we can bring um, to them. And we have unbelievably attractive economics. The balance sheet's incredible. Our, you ought to uh, see them in a bikini. Less than three times. Our free cash. See, the other thing too is remember, this is an interview on CNBC. This is not an interview for fans. This is an interview yeah. for investors. So this is an interview for people who may want to put money into this new public company that forms. So anything Ari Emanuel says here is to project exactly what they want. Should the be taken with think. a grain of salt. Not necessarily, but he's saying it directly. The audience is the, are the investors, not anyone else. It's just about the investors. Right. So conversion is unbelievable. So I think when people look at this business on a combined basis and also look at the remaining assets, for both shareholder, it's incredible. Are you still as committed to deleveraging as you've told Wall Street that you are? You, you said at a conference about a month ago, we've taken the company from eight times levered to four times. Below I'd four sleep times. a lot more if we got it lower. You still committed to that? Well, right now in the new company, we'll be at, uh, I want to I wanna make sure I said below three, and at Endeavor, we'll be below three also times. So I think we're doing our job there. I don't even know what that fucking means. All right, well, let's go. Why didn't Wall Street see this coming? Why didn't Wall Street see this coming? I read I analyst notes which said, Deutsche Bank, we believe a WWE acquisition's off the table at this point. They thought maybe you were going to go in a different direction. What did Wall Street miss? Everything. <laughs> you know, listen, I, I don't think people realize, one, that Vince saw what we built with the UFC he knows what he wants to do with the WWE and take it to the next level. We had long conversations about it. Next we think level. this is right for both, um, both groups. I think they just missed the, the value proposition and the flywheel effect on both of the companies. <laughs> what happens if you guys disagree? Executive Chairman McMahon right. says, I think we should be doing this. CEO right. Emmanuel says, no, I think we should be doing this and this is my show. What happens? Well, what happens there is we have a little contest in the ring. <laughs> Some people I, are going to say he's not joking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. I'll outweigh Ari by 100 pounds. <laughs> so I think that's the answer. Hey, let me ask you, though. Beyond the voice and I don't know what, how you would describe it, the grunting, out-of-breath way of speaking, Vince has always said about himself that he was somewhat socially awkward. Like, if he wasn't around his people, if there was a function, 
Linda was the social one. Vince would rather hang out by the bar and talk to the bartender, according, yeah. to, according to Vince. The behavior, the way of speaking, do you think any of that is here? That he's in a situation he doesn't like? He's not in control. An awkward situation of being interviewed? Do you think that's where we see some of this come out, or is this something else? No, I think that was what we saw come out with Bob Costas or, you know, some of those other more headline grabbing interviews he did when he was he was going into something like that to be confrontational because he was defensive because he did have something to hide or he did have something he didn't want to talk about or he was he did have a chip on his shoulder here. I think whatever's happened to him, he's he's being fairly he's being as pleasant as Vince normally you know, is in small talk. Vince doesn't do small talk. Well, let's hear about the future plans in terms of creative, which is funny now that we're watching Monday Night Raw play out. Let's go to this. Seriously, what happens if you guys disagree? Here's what we, here's what we said, right? Um, and I said it to him. If we disagree on something that we want to do, guess what? We're not doing it. Um, it's the relationship I have with Silver Lake, um, I would never put that, and it's the relationship I have with Dana. Dana's got the say as it relates to the UFC. Vince, as it relates to the WWE, he's going to have that. He's going to have the say. We 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 have nothing to do with the creative process. Um, that's Vince's and that's Dana's situation. All the back stuff, we're going to try and do what we do. I think that's what he wants. But if there's a disagreement, that's called a relationship. We will work it out. And that's how we have it. You know, let me make it clear. I thought you worked for me. <laughs> <laughs> On the creative side, Vince, do yeah. you plan to be as involved as you have in the past? On the creative side, um, yes and no. Uh, on a higher level, yes. Uh, and the weeds, which you always love to get in the weeds in the past, no, can't do that. All right. <laughs> And he loves, that's one of his favorite phrases. I'm not going to get in the weeds, which is basically, I'm just going to tell everybody what I want to happen and let them figure out the details, even though it doesn't make sense. If you had a lineup in front of you, you had to pick which guy was just in the weeds. Wouldn't you point to him the way he looks right now? That guy's clearly say, in the weeds. I would say he's into weed. <laughs> well, uh, what do you think of the idea that Ari Emanuel, Endeavor, based on what he's saying here, it's, we acquire you. We set everything up. You run the creative. We'll take care of the back end. A, what do you think of that? If that's true, they don't get involved with creative. That's like the perfect setup to have a billion dollar owner who's not going to get involved in creative. Yeah. And two, when you hear that they won't get involved and they're, well, let me ask you that first. What do you think about the idea that they won't get involved? Well, I, obviously that's good because say what you want about Vince or anybody else, it's always better in the long run, if at least the people involved are wrestling people instead of the, you remember what happened with TBS in the 80s, remember what's happened anytime a, a non-wrestling affiliated or experienced corporate entity gets involved in wrestling, it's never good. Having said that, I think in a lot of cases, because he mentioned the same thing and the same term creative talking about Dana White. And obviously, they don't have bookers and writers that script their matches or their television programs or whatever. He's talking about, in this creative, I think, the use that Ari Emanuel is making is more broad in terms of 
however the product is produced, whether the product is professional football or mixed martial arts or pro wrestling, we're not going to get involved with the company in actually producing that product. We're going to try to use our contacts and influence to get that product seen in more places and purchased by more people. I think that's, he uses creative as broad. You're saying contacts and stuff. I'm talking more about if you work in marketing, if you work in PR, whatever it may be, do you have to worry about your job right now at WWE? Oh, yeah. No, that's two different things. What I was saying, first off, is I don't think that even Ari Emanuel there is saying that, uh, well, Vince is going to start booking at least, you know, Raw every and writing the format. He's talking about Vince is running the company. He's creating the content. He's producing the, the product and we're going to market it and sell it. Now, you know, again, there's got to be at some point, I don't think they're just going to come in there with a fucking hatchet and drop everybody before they've evaluated everything. But at some point, they're going to realize that, well, we probably don't need, you know, a, a separate catering for each company that we own. We could do it all together or accounting or some other business department. That may very well happen, but I would think they would wait to see how things are operating first before they just decide to change everything. Well, speaking of creative, what's the future creative plans for the Mr. McMahon character? What happens if Vince says, you know what, Mr. McMahon character <laughs> Mr. McMahon decides dead. he wants to get back into the ring? You let him? His choice. Purely his choice. Purely. That's not going to happen. <laughs> Famous, okay. last right. okay. right. Famous last words. Famous last words. 77. <laughs> I know we're... It's not going to happen, was... but anything could happen in the WWE. He was 76 last year in Dallas, wasn't he? To the question we had the other day about older people getting in the ring, like Shane just got hurt, although Shane's not an older guy. He's only 53, but he's not a trained wrestler. Or well, at least... for, for a professional athlete, that's in the upper right. echelon of older fellas. What do you think of Ari Emanuel saying that if a 77-year-old wants to get in the ring, it's his choice. Well, first of all... it's WWE's this, choice if they want to put an older guy in the ring. Again, I think Ari Emanuel is talking about if Mr. Mc... He's seeing in his head Mr. McMahon, the boss, the guy that came out and said, you're fired to people. I don't think that if you sat down and said, hey, Ari, Vince has an idea where he's going to have a match with Steve Austin, they're going to get double juice, and the finish is going to be a splash on a fucking garbage can then I think Ari would know, Vince, now this company that you are the number two or three guy in is worth $20 billion, and we don't need you goddamn scrambling your brains worse than already scrambled. I think he's talking about he would let it go if the Mr. McMahon character wanted to come back. Well, he's not going to say he wouldn't with Vince sitting right there next to him. They probably discussed it, and I would think he probably has some reasonable Ari, some reasonable expectation that Vince is not going to want to become a television performer again because of the the voice and the look and the fact that he probably needs to sleep by 8 o'clock every night now. So again, I wouldn't be panicked by that. I don't think Vince is going to have any more matches. I don't think they're going to allow that to go on. I've said before, I think that the new company just as a liability issue may 
crack down on older guys who are either retired or only working part-time or have had health issues in the past, you know, not risk themselves again. But I I do believe that if if Vince said he wanted to come out and cut a promo as Mr. McMahon, that they'd probably not have a problem with it because Ari Emanuel's view is that, well, he's one of the great characters in the history of the company. Although people would probably have a tough time understanding it. A few more clips and we'll wrap things well, and, up. And that, and, but then that has to creep in. It's got to be like, well, geez, Vince, do you think you're up for it? But go ahead. The TV rights package is something we've talked a lot about. Let's hear about that. We're coming you know, towards the end of, of our time, but the, the TV rights. <clears throat> yeah. um, where are we in the stage of renegotiating that, given where the economy is, given some of the concerns about the escalation in rights fees? Mm. How optimistic are you in renegotiating those fees? Well, the rights fees are now coming up. Um, here's what I would say to you. Is, have you started the, the talks yet? No. Um, they have not started the talks yet. Here's what I would say to you. Is, the number one show in cable is Raw, 1.8 million viewers, up 9% from the same period of time, 2022 to 2023. Even though everybody says cable's dying, Raw is up. SmackDown, uh, I think it's 2.3 million viewers, uh, up 7%, same period, same period. And the unbelievable thing is the 18 to 49 demographic is the best in the business. What changed between a year ago or so and now? <laughs> what was taken out of creative that would have caused more people <laughs> to watch more WWE, 7% more, than last year? I don't know what it could be. And the rate card is way below market by a significant amount. Um, so when you think about those things, and in my opinion, and Vince and I talk about this, content's king. There's, there's linear players, there's cable players, there's the SVOD players. Everybody wants the young demographic, the social. I mean, we're across the board, male, female, young, old, both assets. Um, I think they're going to get uh, a proper price. And Let me stop you there. What do you think about that? Would you hire this guy represent you? Well, that's the thing is now they're going to have muscle. The, the, the one thing that has been talked about when the rights fees were being discussed originally was that wrestling always has, and even with Vince's efforts to not call it wrestling, it doesn't get the sponsor dollars that an equivalent audience of a more prestigious program does. And and that may have been true in the old days with, you know, local TV and it's a lower income audience watching in a lot of the markets or whatever. But now this is obviously people that have the wherewithal to travel to shows, spend money on stuff, and they're going to endeavor being they is going to strong arm, you know, the fucking proper rates out of a lot of these advertisers it seems like so that's you know that's the example of the hollywood muscle the idea here is there's nothing like the two combined it's live that's really a key because our events are live people want to watch live yeah one of the reasons why we are a success and continue to be a success and can fit in every 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 medium we can fit everywhere uh and uh in terms of social media and everything else we we fit everywhere WWE, we fit everywhere. <laughs>
Well, Jim, this is uh, towards the end here. Scott Wapner wants to talk to Vince about his legacy and everything that's happened in the last year. Let's go to this. Before I let you go, I want to ask you specifically about how... I want to ask you about how you think about your legacy, given where you took this company, Mm -hmm. what's happened in the last year, the regrets you may have as a result of all that, and how you think your legacy will and your story will be told. Well, let me just say that I've made mistakes, obviously, you know, both personally and professionally through my 50-year career. I've owned up to every single one of them and then moved on. I'm not sure, you know, the legacy stuff, I'm not gonna write it. So, I don't know. Um, I wanna say it's someone who had an extraordinary amount of fun, great passion for what they did, and wound up doing the biggest deal he's ever done in his life. You know, it sounds like an old guy who's just so proud of the, what he just did. Yeah. And and it, the, this is the crowning achievement. This is the big one. He didn't want to be Orson Welles and start out big and then trail off. He wanted to go out with a bang. That's well, how you got to top this. Well, let's go out with a bang, Jim, following up on something you and I talked about, Vince's new contract, where he gets his intellectual property. You say you're not going to write your legacy, but you did make that deal that you get a multi-million dollar payout if the company gets sold and you control your IP. So in a sense, you are going to write your legacy. (laughs) I love that. I just did. You wrote it for me. What about that deal? People thought that was rather peculiar. Which deal? About the getting the payout if the company gets sold and then also uh, owning the rights to your intellectual property so that you can tell your story if you want to. Um, It is what it is. But let me just say my opinion. <laughs> let me stop it there. Vince, that's all Vince will say. It is what it is. Because the other way of saying it is, yeah, I just decided I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. Yeah, well, uh, here's the thing. He said he wasn't going to write his legacy. He's just now got the contractual ability to determine who does write it. Well, let's hear Ari Emanuel try to save this here at the end. Because we talked about this. I think that's fair. It is his legacy. He's the one we're coming together. He's the one that should control his legacy. It shouldn't be controlled by somebody else. And that's actually fair. A legacy, he's built 50 years. It shouldn't be held by anybody else. It should be held by him. That's the right thing to do. When do we get a name for the new company? We're working on it now, actually. Very soon. Very soon. And when do you expect it to go public, as you say, on the New York Stock Exchange? Hopefully in the next four to six months. So, depending on the government. Gentlemen, thank you. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate it very much. You should call the new company Grumble. That's all Vince does. <laughs> Let's get ready to grumble. Uh, yes, I'm Actually, waiting. I think they ought to buy the Outdoor Life Network, and then they could they could start producing porn, and the new company could be called Fighting, Fishing, and Fucking. I don't think it's going to be that. You know, the thing with Vince, it's almost like he's trying to whisper. But he can't, like, it's not, he's not raising his voice. Like, and the thing is, I, I just want to, like, he's whispering the words and they're coming out like that. I don't know. I'm still potentially thinking that he's been replaced by an animatronic figure. We'll find out in the coming weeks. Jim, we're going to wrap up the show in a minute, but closing thoughts about this CNBC interview with not just Vince, but the man who's really now in charge of all this, Ari Emanuel. Well, again, you know, a lot of happy talking, et cetera. And we don't know the things that we don't know yet about how this is all going to 
come together and affect everybody, but it is the, even though Vince is still in charge of the WWE, somebody else is in charge of the, the big picture. And it'll be the first time in 41 years that Vince is not in charge of the biggest wrestling promotion in the world. And it's going to be the first time in what I think almost 70 years that a McMahon's not in charge. And, you know, the thing is wrestling today currently has never been pro wrestling has never been less popular in terms of number of people watching or number of people going to see it live or numbers of wrestlers actually making a consistent living at it. But the company that runs the biggest company or the entity that runs the biggest company is worth more than any wrestling promotion now ever has been ever before ever. And the people that are left watching it spend more money per head than any wrestling fan group ever anywhere. So I guess there's good and bad in there and I'm not sure which outweighs what. Well, there it is, and we'll find out how things work out in the future for WWE. But ladies and gentlemen, we have recorded a lot every single day, nonstop, for the last several days. I just know as soon as I put this microphone down, Tony Khan's going to announce CM Punk's back, or he's booked a stadium. Just something crazy. Any closing word? We're not going to have a song. Song next week. Yeah, song next week. How about, how about this? Money's tough and times are hard. Here's your fucking Christmas card. We'll see you later. So long, sayonara. For Jim Cornette, I'm the great Brian Last. More fun and action on the Jim Cornette experience this weekend. But until then, tally ho! Well, it's Jim Cornette's drive-thru. Yes, it's Jim Cornette's drive-thru. Please shut up and listen while Corny is shooting. Yes, while Corny is shooting on Big Fucking Putin and those outlaw macho fucks. Joey Ryan, the young bucks, the rednecks and dumb fucks, and them dork order bomb fucks. And then there's Jelly Janella and Santino Marella, the boogeyman, the boogeyman, the boogeyman. Corny's drive through, Corny's drive through, Corny's drive through. Well, it's all elite wrestling. Tony Khan is investing his billions of dollars in some dumb cosplay wrestlers. Yeah, they think they are wrestlers in video games just like Kenny Omega. We pledge allegiance to the leader of the mighty cult of Cornettes. And to the pro wrestling for which he stands. No blow-up dolls, kick spots, or dance routines. With blood, sellouts, and shoot angles for all. And have you heard about Riho? She weighs 45 kilos and she's their champion. She's a Japanese schoolgirl. All the Japanese schoolgirls like Kenny Omega love to play with his Sega. Yeah, they play with his Sega. You need to sue the guy for you, Steven Pierre, everybody. Corny's drive-through. Corny's drive-through. Corny's drive-through.
Jim Cornette and the great Brian Lass.